3: In
4: three, three two, three, one. My heart is missing. Listening to it, I'm going to be crazy because she's such a little cutie. I've gone through at the home, representative that are up to the arc. So yeah. if they can't get the answers, how many people are people going to get the answers? They know how hard I work, and to get nothing at the end of it is very, very hard. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083
0: 396 96, 96
4: Email opinion at 96 FM.
0: This is The Opinion line with PJ Coogan.
5: Good morning, good morning, good morning. F. For a little while this morning, I thought I'd woken up in November. Uh, bucketing rain overnight, you probably heard it. And uh, it looks as if it's going to be a bleak few days ahead, in the sense that we can't really predict when the sun is going to shine or when the rain is going to fall. I think that's a combination of both, really. That uh, we're being told to expect for August So I'm not too sure if we'll talk about barbecues today We might leave that till Friday Um, And this is, we're into the heart of music festival month August always being the big month for the music festivals So we'll talk more about that a little later as well And I can't say anything just now, but if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, we might have some very, very big news to break uh, in the next hour or so. We're just waiting to hear more on that. Some of the stories that caught my eye this morning, television license revenue falls by 2.7 million in July. Uh, Not many people surprised by that. These are the new figures for the full month of July today. The statistics show that revenue for the TV licence continues to decline following the controversy around misreported payments to RTE presenter Ryan Tuberty. And I see in the, uh, the Sun newspaper this morning... Um, that Ryan Tuberty looks set to return to RTE an exclusive by their showbiz editor, Ken Sweeney. Bosses fear his loss could see Radio 1 hemorrhaging listeners. Internal meetings about Tubbs's future were told of the crucial role his one-hour radio show plays in hanging on to the massive audience of Morning Ireland and passing it on to Today with Claire Byrne. Um, and they're saying now that RT have no option but to keep Tuberty. So it'll be interesting to see if we do see the terms and conditions that he returns to the national broadcaster under. Another story there today, this is very worrying. A vegan influencer who ate only tropical fruit is feared to have died of starvation and exhaustion. 39-year-old Zana Samsonova had spent the past six years as a fruitarian. Uh, eating only fruit and sunflower seed sprouts. She had previously been on a raw plant-based diet since 2011. She's Russian and she also went without water for seven years, staying hydrated from uh, fruits and coconuts. Uh, Her mother confirmed to Russian media that Zana had died on the 21st of July in Malaysia while on a tour of Southeastern Asia. She said she caught a cholera-like infection shortly before she was due to fly home and her official cause of death is not yet known but pals told how they had become increasingly worried about her restrictive diet and how ill Zana looked and she looks pretty ill uh, in the photograph of her uh, on her recent holiday in um, in Asia. She didn't drink water for six years Uh, that's extraordinary Uh, just relying on you know the contents of coconuts and that to keep her hydrated and then spent the past six years as a fruitarian eating only fruit and sunflower seed sprouts so therein I suppose lies a warning Uh, if you experiment with the human body you can face dire consequences there's no doubt about that and um, elsewhere, I'll, I'll talk more about this in a little while this morning. And I hope you can stay with us until 12 midday. We have a fairly lively programme this morning. We all remember, I think, where we were when uh, the Bataclan and Stade de France attacks took place. It was 2015. It's extraordinary how time just flies by, eight years ago. And it was always likely that the terrorist attacks in Paris would generate not just novels and music and poetry, but a film and there's a brand new movie uh called Paris Memories which in France the original title is Revoir Paris um and it's getting very very strong very fine reviews um and there's a number of reviews in the papers today uh it opens in cinemas here on Friday and we'll talk more about that it's a pretty gripping film a very sad film uh yet a lot of violence but uh, th- this is something that French people and as you know um, you think of France back in the days of de Gaulle um, the French people very true to their independence and true to their freedom and uh, it's, it's, these, some of the actors in the movie unknown to us obviously but uh, they, they act the parts of the characters they're playing brilliantly and Alice Winokur who's the director of it uh, talks glowingly about working with this group of actors. We'll talk more about that in a little while today. Now um, as you know yesterday we uh, we had kind of set up a couple of our listeners um, with with a date. Uh, it was over a cup of coffee, and we were hoping that things might work out well. As yet, we don't know how well it went, but we're about to find out. Just to let you know, Annette was talking to us last week, and indeed, Danny came on talking to us too. They haven't had much luck on the dating scene. Uh, they've tried online dating to no, uh, you know, no enjoyable outcome. And uh, we spoke to both of them individually, and. Over the weekend, we decided that it might be a nice idea to get them together if they would agree to that. So, Annette is on the line with me now.
4: Hi, Annette. Good morning, Gareth. How are you?
5: Very well. Now, the whole county is holding its breath this morning. (laughs) (laughs) How did it go?
4: It went grand, yeah. Um, After a bit of a false start, we didn't actually pick the right entrance of the building we were meeting at. So he was standing at one and I was standing at the other. Right. (laughs) So after about 15 minutes, I was like, I rang him to see where he was. That's what the issue was. We were both standing at different entrances. But we went off for a cuppa and um, chatted away. Jesus, must have been for a good half an hour, I'd say. Just quite contented having a great chat about everything and anything, you know. Uh, do you mind
5: me asking, like, what, what was everything and anything? Was it just about about the weather, which we're great at talking about here in Ireland? Uh, yes,
4: we did that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little bit about families, uh, just children and, you know, just a small bit of history about the family. Um, location, where we were, just talking about the city, because Danny is from the city, so he knows it inside out and back to front. I don't know a thing about the city so he was pointing out a few things to me about the place because <laughs> yeah. I haven't got a clue, and um what else to we chat about, yeah, I suppose that was kind of it, really, but by, by the time you've all that talked about, it was a good a good half an hour, you know,
5: so where did it go next?
4: um nowhere
3: nowhere
5: oh, nowhere, no right. unfortunately,
4: okay. weren't a match um we were definitely looking for different things um yeah. so um, yeah, Danny, I suppose he seems to have more kind of, I suppose, downtime than I do. And so he was looking for something, somebody that maybe could meet up a couple of times a week and, and go out for dinner and go and all that sort of thing, which is, which is great. Um, whereas I probably wouldn't have as much free time. So, um, and that was an issue. And then Danny loves to go walking. He literally walks all day, every day. He's great at it. I can't do that. I have mobility problems. So I generally use like, a walking stick, or or the roadator, my little three wheelies to help me. Mm. So um, there was kind of a few things that just didn't um, uh, match up, you know.
5: Right now, um, I'm I'm not sure. I I think I don't know whether Danny said he did or he didn't drink alcohol, but um, he doesn't. No, he doesn't, he doesn't. Right. Okay. No. So then, consequently, the pub wouldn't be necessarily his ideal way of. Yeah. No. He doesn't
4: idea. have. He doesn't have an issue going into the pub either. You know, it doesn't bother him in the slightest. He just is, is a non-drinker, and so, so many people are these days. So, and which is fabulous. So, and we actually talked, we actually discussed that as well, you know. And mm. he was saying that even his brother um, never drank, and there was somebody else in his family. I think it was just never an issue for them. It's just something they never liked, and that was it, you know. Yeah. So it was, so definitely going into the pub and all that wasn't an issue for him.
5: What well, I get the feeling um, he he wanted to know where the relationship might go moving forward.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I suppose that kind of <laughs> kind of slightly took me by surprise because I mean we were literally just a a kind of a half an hour into a chat and he kind of said, "Well, you know, where do you see this going?" And I thought, "Well, not very far at the moment." Like you know, we literally just started talking, so that kind of that I you know. That kind of took me by surprise because it's not something I would have considered, you know, looking to see where was it going next. I would have just considered the next couple of dates of, if there was, to just be getting to know you and seeing would it go anywhere? Is there a possibility? So when he asked me that, I, I kind of got a bit of a shock. And, um, I, I mentioned something then that he didn't seem to think was great I, I mentioned that my responsibilities you know that I have I have dogs and I need to make sure they're looked after before I can you know head off anywhere or do anything and um, so I couldn't really be very spontaneous you know
3: mm.
4: and uh, that seemed to be for want of using the terminology that seemed to be a red flag for him he didn't you know it, it didn't seem to sit with him that I had dogs and, and that. You know, I couldn't just drop everything and head off. You know,
5: some people don't like dogs.
4: Yeah, yeah I don't think yeah. it's he doesn't like them. I I, I right. believe there's something in the background, and I I that's a, that's for Danny to to talk about, not me at all.
5: Yeah, um, he 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 values a kind of an independent mind. Uh, yeah. That's kind of a fairly wide scoped expression. You kind of wonder. Absolutely, yeah, um, absolutely. And and did he give you an idea what he meant by that?
4: I, he did, but it, again, it's not for me to say it.
5: I understand,
4: yeah. Did you get me? Yeah, He's,
5: He struck me as a lovely guy. He really he did. And, you know, he might be a good catch for someone who's into the walking.
4: Absolutely. I'll tell you a thousand percent, yeah. Somebody who's just got more to free time in their hands probably maybe lives near her, nearer to him. Um, and that, you know, uh, yeah. quite, I mean, he is, you know, you could chat for days with Danny. He could talk about anything, you know. Um, so, yeah, by by all means, it could, it could be somebody that just is uh, more suited to him. That's
5: it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I have to say, I, when we got chatting the other day, I didn't think we'd be able to chat for so long, but it was a wonderful chat that we had just talking about values mm. and talking about disappointments and how the whole mm-hmm. thing has changed. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. has changed in terms of meeting someone, where you take it from there. Yeah. Um and, you know, when you've heard of some of the conversations we've had over the last week, it's, it's yeah. not everyone's cup of tea because things are so instant these days.
4: They yeah, are. You see, yeah. this is it, you know. And I yeah. suppose, and the one thing that I, I really did like about Danny is he doesn't have social media. He doesn't have a smartphone. It's the, just your basic phone that he answers and says hello, and that's it. Yeah. You know, or he rings somebody. And so that was quite refreshing as well because he, you know, isn't into any of those things. He doesn't even have WhatsApp you know, and that's kind of refreshing in one sense, you know, somebody who just doesn't do the social media thing, um, which suits some people, doesn't suit others,
6: you
5: know. Yeah, and you know, they're they're talking about mental health issues associated Mm -hmm. with too much time spent on social media these days.
4: Absolutely, a thousand percent. Well, Danny doesn't. Danny is lovely, he goes off out for his walk instead, and um, you know, and he just likes the the mind space that that gives him, you know.
5: Okay, so you're going to keep looking?
4: Ah, sure we'll see I'm 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 not in any particular hurry but somebody crosses my path well and good
5: yeah and it could happen in a flash you know it could that's it the could. thing you know absolutely <laughs> the joys of it yes absolutely. indeed indeed Annette uh, have a good day today and, uh, and you thank too. you so much really enjoyed chatting to you and uh, it's been
4: great it's been great it's been something different anyway yeah, thank you absolutely Thanks. thank Cheers you take Gary, care take bye.
5: bye that's bye. Annette there uh, and Danny who couldn't come on this morning I know you're probably listening Danny uh, thank you so much because we we, we, we got such great entertainment out of the conversation we had with you and then as I say hopefully the conversation between the two of you yesterday uh, was very very enjoyable as well I see that if you enjoy your Sunday lie in some people say a lie on or a lie in Uh, there's an interesting piece in uh, the Times this is the London Times this morning having a lie in On weekends can lead to weight gain as it disrupts the balance of healthy bacteria in the gut, research shows. Even small changes to your daily sleep pattern, such as sleeping in on Sundays, were linked to a rise in harmful microbes. Uh, Some 16% were identified as having social jet lag, meaning they usually go to bed and wake up at least 90 minutes later on weekends than on weekdays, and this disrupts the internal body clock. I'd love to know if you've had that experience, if you've given up your Sunday lie-in or your Saturday lie-in. I don't know what a Sunday lion is to be honest with you. Things are so hectic. Uh and I, I find certainly since that awful car crash I, I, I can't stay in bed later than six o'clock in the morning. Um the old leg pain and that. Um but it, it's it is something I remember from many, many years back. Um, And I remember people saying, don't call me until lunchtime tomorrow. And I'm thinking to myself, how can people lie on for an extra four or five hours? Maybe you find it easy, maybe you don't. Maybe you have your own theory on that. Uh, You can let us know. The number, of course, is, um, and I have it here, it's 083-396-9696 for your texts and WhatsApp messages. And you can email the show today, opinion at 96fm.ie. And if you want to pick up the phone... There's another old dinosaur expression You can call us on oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now residents and businesses in Glanmire, Gluntham, Carrig and other parts of uh, the city and county will be under a boil water notice from Friday Irish Water has warned This is related to an industrial dispute involving Unite and we have Tom Fitzgerald from Unite the Trade Union to talk about this. Good morning to you Tom
2: Good morning Garrick Union listeners
5: uh, Tom, take take us back. What brought us to this point today at th- this weekend?
2: Well, fundamentally, we're involved in a trade dispute because the uh, body, the local government management agency LGMA, uh, charged with engaging with trade unions on behalf of local authorities, have effectively refused to meet tonight, uh, refused to meet us directly, refused to meet us at the WRC, the state machinery for dispute resolution. Uh, to discuss what our members believe are shortcomings in uh, what's referred to as the framework document for the future delivery of water service uh, in Ireland. Uh, that's, that's the kind of the, 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 the backdrop to what, what, what uh, the industrial action is over.
5: Okay, and so what's going to happen this week?
2: Well, um, as you said, there at the start, there's an industrial action in a number of places in both the city county of Cork and across eight other local authorities. Um, and we're aware that that has given rise to disruption in certain areas in the course. That's very regrettable because our members walk and live in those communities and are impacted by themselves, so family, friends, neighbours, and so on and so forth. So the very last thing our members want to be doing is being involved with in something that gives rise to disruption for their family, friends, and neighbours, and in fact, the very last thing our members want to be doing is being on the picket line because it's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine the morning; the guys would be out there from six in the morning. Uh, it's a fairly uh, bad morning where and I think across the country. So, um, we don't want to be involved in this. But when the employer representatives refuse to engage uh, in those circumstances, the only thing the workers have to do is can do is solidarity with each other, their colleagues and try and move the employer to engage. and um, we set out very clearly and does any amount of correspondence. We're available to engage and sit down uh, as soon as possible. I I, I my responsibility is across the, the ROI and I'm happy enough to sit down with them tomorrow morning uh, as early as that. So that's that's what they need to do. They need to engage with very seriously and sit down and stop putting any preconditions, sit down no prejudice and have a discussion which unite the union to listen to concerns of our members and can we tease out a resolution to this dispute so there's no disruption for
5: anybody. The union is looking for a commitment from the local government management agency that your members will transfer to Irish Water and retain their public service status, isn't that one of the the things the key elements (laughs) that
2: you want? It, it's an important factor, uh, and there's also another fundamental factor is that those workers who were left to stay in the local authorities, that particular employment are protected there. Now, some local authorities have actually indicated a willingness to engage us locally in that and get commitments directly from the employer. In the past, what the LGMA said about that particular point is well, you've assured them from Minister, Government, and so on and so forth, and without being personally facetious to anybody, our members say to us, uh, well, assurance from ministers is not sufficient. With respect, ministers can go. The minister, have bothered about water charges, they have about the uh, battle that has been uh, in the Divorce War for a whole period of time. And what they say is they want assurance from their employer that your conditions won't change if you elect to stay. And they also want assurances that the conditions will be protected where you elect to move. But here's the difficulty, Gary, is that here we are having a conversation about some of the details of what our members believe to be shortcomings. Mm -hmm. Uh, and some of those concerns may be late uh, and there may be solutions to be found no doubt there is, there always is but we can't arrive at that point uh, because of this ridiculous situation where a state agency refuses to meet up with the trade union even in the context of another state agency the WRC, so we can't have that sensible uh, engagement uh, until they're prepared to sit down in a serious way and meet and we've said by the way all sorts of you know yourself in these circumstances, often not the first casualty is the truth. We said we'll meet directly, we'll meet through the WRC, we'll meet with the other group of the unions involved, we'll meet in any set of circumstances because that's what we did, that's how mm. we resolve disputes. We sit down with the floors, we trash it out, and we try and find the middle ground between the parties.
5: Now, the, the document, Tom, the framework for the future delivery of water services, this was put forward. Uh, last year, I think it was, by the, the Workplace Relations Commission. What what were the shortcomings? Just briefly tell us, what were the shortcomings that you found in that document?
2: Well, fundamentally our members would say that the document was arrived at through collective engagement. Uh, and what we would say, that when you're looking to change the conditions of workers, you should arrive at that through collective agreement. And uh, from that point of view, our members were baffled in the framework document and they rejected it in a smart form. And key shortcomings day would day there wasn't sufficient clarification about protecting the conditions of employment uh, of those workers who stay in the local authorities. Uh, There was concerns about uh, barriers for people if they wanted to exit the local authorities. Uh, Age barriers uh, in that that aspect. There wasn't the protections if someone elected to move to each government and there was uh, not a specific date around the referendum piece. So they were the broad issues that our members said were problematic and constituted shortcomings. But fundamentally, fundamentally, they say anything that is going to change the lives of walks and the family should be voted upon mm. by workers, and um, That's the democratic process.
5: The big question everyone's asking it this morning is can we expect water shortages?
2: Um, well, that's a matter for the local authorities it's a matter, but, but of course, from our point of view, we hope not. We hope it doesn't impact the customers. We have got a mechanism in place that's actually working very well across the various local authorities that where there's a emergency work, our members have stepped off to pick a line to assist and support to that. Uh, and We continue to do that, we continue to engage. We've actually had a couple of correspondence from local authorities you know, over the last couple of weeks, the industrial action tankers for approaching that. And it, 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 it's appropriate to be engaged in that regard. Um, so hopefully not. Uh, um, we don't... This is not about hurting customers. It's not about hurting neighbours of our members. This is about saying to the LGMA, um, the state agency, charged engagement with the units here. You can sit down. Do what we do. Uh, uh, meet and try and find a resolution of this is
5: are you hoping for the, the same kind of support Londoners are, are giving McLynch?
2: Well, you're always hoping for support and solidarity. In fact, actually, it's a good point to make because the solidarity of other public sector workers uh, has been incredible. In fact, uh, on picking lines, and people pot calling up to our members, and you know, even down to cups of tea and that sort of stuff has been very, very good. So you, you take any support where you get it. Yeah.
5: Oh, okay, so we're looking at um, a possible escalation of the industrial action um, if 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 the if if the uh, the the LGMA don't come forward and start talking to you.
2: There's every prospect of that, and but we had a mixed bag this week, where one local authority, Fingal, for example, have encouraged locally and have given commitments to our members to the extent that allowed the pick a line to be lifted actually this week where I now have another local authority that hasn't been involved in industrial action and our, our members there now are asking to me with a view towards being balloted uh, because they're not getting the assurances locally. So uh, it'll escalate uh, uh, in some areas where there's no engagement uh, and where there is engagement will hopefully matters will be resolved. It, it
3: seems to
2: me, it seems to us that the LGMA, uh, they're, they're not to engage in any serious way. So local authorities... Are sitting down with workers and saying, Well, actually, here's the protections, here's what we can do going forward. And the this, this significant difference between that and what's happened today is this that it's their employers, the people like the, the, the LGMA represented the body, the ministers, the minister, and the client. But it's the local authorities actually employ these workers. So, where does that engage and say, Listen, we we'll give you commitments, we'll give you, we'll hand over those enlightenment? That's important and significant. So, it's going to be uh, 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 Mixed response, mm. but yeah, where there's no engagement and effectively people continue to be disrespectful to workers, there is likely to be an es- escalation. Guys, unfortunately,
5: can you clarify, Tom, when the the Cork action will take place? Because Cork County Council and Irish Water seem to have different dates. Is is it now <laughs> or Friday that we need so, to boil the water? So it's,
2: it's well, our initial action is ongoing today, tomorrow, and Friday—three days escalation of two days from two weeks ago in the county and in the city.
3: Um, in terms
2: of boil water notices you, you appreciate uh, for the, the local authority issue that in terms of what's appropriate I, I'm not aware of what you've done I had been, two members being advised that boil water notices had been issued in some parts of Cork, yes OK, thanks for
5: joining us today Tom, we'll we'll keep in touch with you on this one OK, thanks. Good morning to you Thank you ta- very much Tom Fitzgerald there from the United Trade Union. Yesterday we were discussing a protest in Cork City on Saturday which prompted library staff in the City Library to close the facility. We spoke to the Lord Mayor Kieran McCarthy and to Margaret, who wanted to make some points in support of the protesters. Aaron was one of the protesters at the event and wanted to join the conversation. Good morning to you, Aaron. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm very well. Now, from where you were, what was going on and what did you see?
7: Um, I actually uh, arrived pretty late. I was was with a a local group here in County Waterford during the morning and it it was a bit hectic getting through the city as usual. But when I got there, um, there seemed to be a a decent separation between, uh, we'll say, opposition protesters from ourselves on the day uh, with a kind of a blockade from the Gardaí. And the rally had gotten underway, I suppose, just after 2 o'clock. Derek Bly was one of the first speakers. Uh, it seemed to be well attended. and um, every, Everything was, was absolutely fine from what I had seen up to that point shortly after two o'clock. Um, very disappointed once again, of course, from, I suppose, my own point of view, to see the very loud heckling some chants that were said once again. And I suppose... Some of the events that occurred around it afterwards, I suppose, Garrett, and I suppose just towards the end of the event, you know, um, I suppose I could summarize there quickly or go on and on. But I suppose that, that that's kind of my thoughts on it. I thought there were some fantastic speakers there um, absolutely fantastic speakers who had, I suppose, a lot more points to mention other than just the book a little bit kind of overshadows things a little bit that I suppose was said by others on the day, there was a lot more speakers other than of course um, uh, Andy Heisman on the day who, who spoke a lot about the book indeed Derek Bly mentioned it and spoke a lot about a lot of other topics other than the book um, and as I see uh, this morning, as, as you hear me reiterate there constantly about the book it seems to be constantly about the book and about LGBTQ that I that I'm hearing about, when indeed the rally was about a lot more other things, and there was indeed one or two instances that occurred at the rally that I, I suppose I haven't heard been mentioned throughout the morning, Gareth. I suppose but would I be kind of right on my summary of that? Well, like
5: like what? Tell me tell me what what happens at the rally that's not being referred to?
7: Well. I, I, I definitely don't believe that uh, the incidences that the Gardaí did get involved with, uh, maybe even at one point nearly instigate, uh, you know, I know the Gardaí was possibly doing her job, but it, it did nearly instigate a problem at one point with a female guard there, with one protester who uh, was indeed on a, a so-called our side, whatever way you're going to word or put it across. Um, when a friend of his was assaulted, uh, after leaving, I, I want to confirm that, after either either leaving or on approach to a car park that was down around the area where the opposition protesters were. And, like, the gardie did, did step in there. Uh, something did happen there. I then turned my back uh, on that. I didn't want to get involved, but did go, out, go after the, the, the person who had gone towards gardie at the time, and nothing came about after that. But uh, infiltration of the group, um there, there seem to be two or three of the protesters get involved in walking around, running into people, attempting to instigate problems where in fairness, they were remo- removed by Gardee. you know th- this this isn't mentioned and not once have I seen in Cork City, and I'm a county Waterford man Gar. But not once have I seen in Cork City on any anything that I have ever attended uh, in Cork City in the last three years, for for whatever the cause or or, or campaign or belief that it, it may be for, I have never seen instigation or trouble come from anyone that I have ever been in company or associated with ever. I, I'm I'm delighted and, and glad and proud to say, I have never ever seen that. And who who and who were you in company with? Who was I in company with? I uh, well. Uh, <laughs> Very like-minded individuals, i is how I would it, word it. I i could see Ireland First were definitely a standout group that were there. I did see, indeed, there were people from, uh, I do believe, the National Party there. Luke O'Connor from the Irish Freedom Party was there. He spoke extremely well, as did Derek Bly. Uh, Steve McGill, uh, a, a Cork, a, a Cork City local man, I believe a taxman for years. He spoke extremely well. You know, th- these are normal individuals, normal people. Andy Heasman and Ross La Hive, obviously, you know, well leading their campaign there about the book in, in, in the library. You know, like. <laughs> Uh, quite a, a large number of people women, a lot of women uh, quite a lot of women who expressed their viewpoints. I spoke to members of the gay community who who were actually a little bit disappointed uh, by the treatment of ourselves on the day, i.e. Uh, sirens blaring, as you can see in videos circulating online there these constant chants of far right and fascists and Nazis off our streets. Like this, this is absolutely crazy. You speak about discrimination. Uh, 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 Is this serious? Like, uh, do we go to this level of conversation here, where we have to start pointing out what is what and what is acceptable? Sirens been blaring in people's faces. Loud hailers. Myself and Russell Hive were being uh, interviewed by a media outlet, uh, maybe twenty minutes after the event. And that was interrupted by two young guys who came down with loud hailers. And that was an incident that could have sparked, again, more, more trouble and more problems where the guard got involved with and did, did, their, did a great job, just removed them. And this this is not mentioned on 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 any media today or or on anything other than Facebook. You know, it's very disappointing to see that. You know, everyone has 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 their has a freedom of speech, including uh, anyone in opposition um to 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 any other you know we're we're never all, all going to agree uh, but but the, but the the treatment and the behaviour at this stage is it not becoming quite apparent to to a, a anyone at this point that can see on social media that can listen to radio such as yourselves uh, at local radio and, and, and listen to an alternative viewpoint, go down and see it um, I, I listened all morning to people screaming about uh, how disgraceful it was to see the closure of the library and the banner that was that, that was over the library i.e. male and female this this gender this gender fight garrett like yeah. w- w- what w- what level is this going to stop at it, it it's it's getting to be increasingly concerning um again Aaron, referencing Derek. Der, yes can i
5: just there's a uh, there's a, a a photograph on the in uh, the examiner yesterday uh of two men carrying uh, a banner saying globalist traitors out where did that appear from
7: um, I'm unsure of that now, to be truthful. I don't want to lead you wrong on that. So I, I, I'd have to clarify that. I, I, I can maybe find out for you, but I, I don't know off, off the top of my head who owned that banner or where that came from, to be truthful.
5: Right. OK. And just one other point. You're saying that it, it seems to have all just come down to the book, um, but, yes,
7: coming down
5: to the book. Yeah, but but yet the, the ongoing protests have forced the closures of libraries all across the country, the, the protesters are demanding the removal of, of of particularly this book, and it's called "This Book Is Gay." Uh, yes, Teen Sex Education, and that's the title of the book. Um, I mean, what was the object of the protest on Saturday?
7: Well, I, I, I had believed from what I had seen online or from, from posters, the advertisement was from, a, a, it was a nationalist rally. and um, That would have made sense to me when I, when I had seen and heard who the, some of the speakers were. Um, and this is my reason for referencing, that the rally in itself highlighted the book. There was no doubt about that and had speakers reference it, not, not even all of them, but, but main, majority of them, yes. But there was a lot of things mentioned outside of the book on the day um, unfortunately over sorry such as so well highlighting our housing housing and health care crisis immigration was uh, was was mentioned in, in the day um you know for me it it, it does seem to be that lately in car City unfortunately there seems to be a major highlight and I don't mean unfortunately you know maybe fortunately yes uh, the extent that this book has been highlighted, um the treatment of the library workers, which I, I question as well i have I, I I genuinely have never seen any of of the guys on the video ever uh, harass bully or in any way shape or form um, you, you know abuse these library workers. Come on, Garrett. Have, uh, have you realistically have you have you seen a form of abuse take place with these library workers that I, I maybe don't know about?
5: Well, I wasn't there on Saturday. I I I would like to have been there, but I was I was actually away in Dublin on Saturday. But can mm-hmm. I, can I ask, Aaron? And I'm I'm very I am genuinely personally very interested in this. This, this, this is a it's 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 an accelerating situation. The the, the rally was held as part of ongoing protests against LGBTQ plus material in the libraries. I'm right in saying that, am I? Uh, it,
7: was part, it was part of it. It was part of it. It wasn't a sole and primary reason for the rally. But why did you
5: pick the location at the library then if it was just part of it?
7: All right. Well, I, I certainly wasn't uh, in, involved in, in the choosing of the location of, of the protest itself. No, but clearly, um, clearly, but the, it, the spe- it, it just seemed to be. It just seemed to be uh, in Grand Parade. It seems yeah. to be where I'm sure you know yourself, where it's a common location for many people that and clubs, groups, organisations, political parties who who hold or demonstrate. Yeah. Grand Parade is 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 a common place for that to occur. Um, uh, but, but to put the banner. Outside-
5: but to ban- put the, the banner at the entrance to the library. Clearly, yes. th- there was intent there before the protest took place that that was why the location was being selected.
7: Indeed, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I, I can't confirm or deny that. Um, but yes, I can see your point. And I that they were making. I, I, I can also see the point that they were making by doing so uh, as well. But would, you, um, would you not
5: regard the placing the banner at that location was an incitement on the protesters part?
7: On an incitement on the protesters part mm. no I, I, I don't believe so I can't say it is no I, I can say that it's a form of peaceful protest I, 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 which I witnessed I didn't witness any major civil disobedience crime of any fashion on Saturday or any other given time that I've seen any of these demonstrators protesters or activists doing anything okay, um, yeah. okay. Aaron thanks I, a lot
5: I for really talking haven't. to us No problem. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You can call us. You can email us. uh, You can phone us if you want to. We'll give you all the details now in the next few minutes. Big, big news. Or is it big news? There's a rumour going around that the boss is coming to the park. That's the word on the streets. So we're all asking this morning, will there be glory days down by the River Lee? Hungry hearts need to know So let's talk to Ralph Regal Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent Morning Ralph We're we're live on The Opinion Great to talk to you So what's the story? We heard very early this morning That there's a very strong possibility That Bruce Springsteen will be gracing uh, Our beautiful stadium in 2024 Is that true?
1: Uh, It is, uh, Gareth You're talking the 16th and the 18th of May Wow yeah. Now, those dates have not been confirmed, but I'm told those are the dates. Um, All football matches, uh, sporting fixtures have been cleared from those dates and from the dates surrounding it. And that it's also likely that there will be dates in Kilkenny.
5: Mm, in Nolan
1: Park? Nolan Park, yeah. He played in Nolan Park back in 2013. He did two gigs there and uh, it's kind of part of an extended... Everyone thought that when he finished at Manza last week that that was the end of the European tour for another couple of years. But apparently he enjoyed playing in Europe so much that there's going to be a second leg next year. So a lot of the venues that didn't get gigs this year are going to get gigs next year.
5: He played in the old stadium the last time he was here, didn't he, Ralph?
1: <laughs> he did. It was the second gig of the 2013 tour, Gareth. He played Thoman Park first, and then he played the old Park at Kiev. Uh, Mixed views in the concert. Some people said it was brilliant. I have to say, I thought it really showed up, the old stadium, the limitations of it. Seating wasn't great. Uh, The gig itself was very good, but he was extra special in Nolan Park. I think Nolan Park worked very well. The fact that there was a second gig made it almost like a festival weekend in Kilkenny. And of course, the weather was glorious that weekend, which added... It was actually a beautiful summer in 2013 that both the Tolman gig and the Park at Kiev gigs were glorious sunshine, so it kind of added a lot to it. And, of course, he played three gigs in the RDS sellout gigs last May, um, and they were his first gigs in Ireland in seven years and the last gigs he did before that then were two sellout gigs in Croke Park back in 2016.
5: Yeah, he's he, he's tireless, really. I mean, he he just he loves oh, life on the road. Yeah, yeah. Absolute I'm just looking here. He's going to begin a series of concerts at outdoor US stadiums from mid August. He's taking a short That's break right. at the moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's mid-August. He starts. I think it's two gigs at um, Wrigley Field in Chicago, and then he plays a lot of the big football and baseball stadiums. And of course, he has a three-night stand then at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, which is kind of his his hometown gigs.
5: Mm. So he's going to follow in the footsteps of Ed Sheeran, uh, Elton John, and Rod Stewart. They've all played Rod Stewart. It, all they, three yeah.
1: have played the new Parky Key. Of course, if you go back to the old Parky Key. Then you would have had. Um, um, Michael Jackson played there, Prince played there, U2 played there, but the new stadium there the three big acts.
5: When was Michael Jackson here, Ralph? Was it the early, it was the early 80s, was it 80? Eighty eight? no, was it 88 or 89,
1: I think right. it was. 90, 1991 was Prince and I think Jackson was 88, I think. Yeah. He uh, Jackson played Ireland twice. The second time he played, I think he played Croke Park, but the first time he played, of course, was was the old Parky Key of Kiev, a very famous gig, of course, in Cork history. But a lot of people would maintain the U2 gig that was there in, was it, 87? That was an incredible gig as well. Mm.
5: Now, we're very privileged because I I hear that Bruce has no plans to play Dublin next year.
1: No that, that's, no, that may change, but certainly as of now, what I'm hearing is that uh, there'll be one gig offered in Porky Kiev There's a second gig on standby if the first gig sells out, which, which it absolutely yeah. will. And then I think they're looking at multiple gigs potentially at uh, Nolan Park. Now, I think they were open to other venues, so they were looking at some other venues around Ireland. But I think there was just a fondness for Kilkenny. Kilkenny really worked back in uh, 2013. And... Um, it really seemed to kind of capture Springsteen's imagination. So I think there's a very, very strong chance that you're going to get two gigs in Kilkenny as well. That's not to say Dublin may not come in with a late bid, but of course Dublin's already spoiled for choice because next year you have the four Coldplay gigs in uh, Coke Park and then you have the three Taylor Swift gigs in the Aviva Stadium.
5: So my thinking here is that uh, if there are no gigs in Dublin... Uh, you're going to get a huge influx into Cork for the the two Parky Cueve gigs. So there's a very strong possibility that Cork fans could get left out.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you, no matter what happens, you're talking about an enormous influx because, I mean, not just with, say, Dublin fans going for Springsteen tickets, but, of course, you're going to have an awful lot of international fans. Yeah. No, I was at the gigs in the RDS... And I mean, if you just stood still and listened, you heard American accents, German accents, Swedish accents. He has an enormous international fan base. And I think it's also interesting that if you look at that, while he's one one of the most famous American acts of all time, ticket sales for Springsteen in Europe are of an order greater than the average ticket sales um, for a lot of his American gigs. For instance... He's playing Foxborough Stadium in Massachusetts in a couple of weeks' time. You can still buy tickets for for that for that concert. Um, a lot of the concerts that he played in the indoor concerts in the US back last spring for indoor venues, you could get last-minute tickets for some of those if you were willing to pay a few euros or a few dollars over the odds, whereas the Irish concerts are guaranteed. They're, they're going to sell out very, very fast.
5: And will it be the same system that we've seen for Taylor Swift and for Coldplay?
1: Again, I don't know. That's an interesting point. Um, That that wasn't the case for when um, the Springsteen tickets went on the sale the last time. There wasn't this whole um, kind of pre-order and pre-sale and queuing system or whatever to the same degree that there was for these two. Um, I hope there's not because, I mean, I, I tried to get tickets for both Coldplay and Taylor Swift I think at one point I was 147,000 in the list so like unless (laughs) unless unless one of them was going to play 18 gigs I might have a chance of getting the last tickets for the 18th gig but otherwise I'm going to be standing outside trying to hope that the amplification is strong enough that you can actually hear it up in the street yeah
5: well I mean the way tickets are going now uh, like you'd almost be better off renting a boat and putting it out on the river beside the stadium wouldn't
1: you You would and like in fairness some people do that and I'll always remember being in in Dublin um, a couple of years ago and I forget who it was was it Robbie Williams or someone that was playing at the stadium and as I was walking home I just stopped and actually just for half an hour we sat by the street side and you got you know it wasn't ideal but it certainly I mean you got a flavour of the concert and a flavour how good it is and of course the one thing to stress like in terms of venues and location there are very few um, venues in the world that will rival Porky Kiev because of its setting because of the river because of the parklands and beautiful embankments around it so it, it'll be a great show uh, case for the city and it'll also be an enormous tourism boost because of the number of the influx of people both from say all around Ireland but also the international fan base who will come and make a real festival weekend of it.
5: Justin says uh, he's asking any idea when do tickets go on sale, he says I'll sell off my kids just to get tickets for the wife and myself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're a yeah, fan Justin, will have to
1: get in line because I'm at the point where I'm actually threatening to sell off body parts to get tickets first <laughs> but no I suspect that what'll happen is you'll have to get the dates confirmed the dates confirmed yet now I'm I'm happy with the dates that I've been given from a very good source and um, but I'd say you're probably talking a couple of weeks before those dates are actually confirmed and the ticket sales will happen then within a couple of weeks and um, Just to put it again to say for the concerts that happened this year those tickets went on sale uh, June and July of last year so I'd say we're probably talking within a couple of weeks you'd be looking at ticket sales.
5: Right. Kids and kidneys for sale just get tickets for the (laughs) boss.
3: That's
5: great. (laughs) Ralph, great to talk to you. And value for money. Ah, value for money. Thank you. Thank you. Ralph Regal there, Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent. Uh, Justin uh, wants to clarify he was kidding about his children. Uh, (laughs) uh, Now, it's great news, it's wonderful news And we've also just been speculating that Kylie Minogue might be actually here next year She's actually going to finish, she's got a Las Vegas residency, I think November, December, January And uh, she's so happy with the set that that they're now working on a full world tour of Stadia all over the place. So um, Kylie Minogue in Ireland, brand new album on the way as well. That's finished and in the can. We'll keep you up to date on that. To get some good news on a cloudy day from uh, the Irish Independence, Ralph Regal there, Bruce Springsteen, May 16th and 18th. They're penciled in um, from a very reliable source, Ralph says, for Bruce Springsteen, Parky Cueve next year, 16th and 18th of May. Wonderful to hear that. Now, as I mentioned to him there, you know, if, if we've got two gigs in the stadium here, and there are no gigs in the likes of Crow Park or the Aviva in Dublin. There's going to be a lot of old um, yeah, the old dubs heading down on the time like saying, oh, here's the here's the Bruce. Here he is, the boss." So uh, we'll definitely try and catch you the dates for tickets as soon as possible, okay? <laughs> Uh, one caller says, I wonder, will he stay in the hotel in Castle Martyr? Probably. Uh, well, I've no, I've no doubt. If I haven't stayed there myself, but um, maybe somewhere more central. I'm not sure. We'll be watching like Hawks down here. We're dusting off the flags. I know the last time he came, when he was in the old stadium, he headed down to West Cork, did a lot of time down there like that, broke the two gigs up. And I think the day uh, the day that he had free, uh, he went down to West Cork, and I um, think there's the talk of some ancestry in that, uh, in the Springsteen family. And Patti for his wife, uh, she celebrated her 17th birthday last weekend, so happy birthday. Plenty of celebrations going on there. And he's now about to embark on um, the US leg of his stadium tour the second week, third week I think in August Another calling re- caller in relation to dating uh, My friend has been chatting to a man for a number of weeks On the website Plenty of Fish They've met once, they like each other very much But she asked me if it's too early to sleep with them I didn't know what to say, what would your listeners think? Good question One date, they like each other very much And she asked her friend if it's too early to sleep with him. What do you think? Let us know um, in relation to Aaron, uh, I was talking to uh, uh, regarding the protest at Cork City Library last Saturday. Jackie said, that Waterford man would make a great politician. He's not answering any questions you put to him. Jim <laughs> says, this man expects people who oppose his opinion to stay quiet. Why should we stay quiet if they are allowed to spout their nonsense? And Ryan Turberty's return, it seems to be imminent to RTE. Caller says, I think it would be great if people supported him. I listen to 96FM a lot and I think that it's great that Garris is talking about him and even supporting him a bit. It must be a very lonely station where he is now. And I'm sure the fact that rivals are looking forward to a possible return would mean a lot. I take it you mean there that we're the rivals. Um, mm. Well done, Gareth. Be kind. I try to be kind to be everybody, to to everybody. To, to be, you know, if they deserve kindness. Ryan Tuberty, of course he deserves kindness. Um, I know him very well. I've known him for a very long time. I was the one who actually taught him how to use the radio studio equipment the day before he started his breakfast show many years ago on uh, the old, you know, the old school. So... Um, yeah, it's it's. I think the, the, the thing about this is that, you know, um, it, they still have questions to answer. You know, invoices with no names, offshore bank accounts, that effectively is what it is because, you know, when you consider that if you don't have a bank account here, uh, if you have a bank account abroad, that's an offshore bank account. It doesn't have to be in the Bahamas or Barbados. So, you know, there are still questions to be asked. Um, and as Marie Sherlock, the Labour Senator, said to us, yesterday uh, that PAC and the Media Oroctus Committee are both prepared to sit during the summer recess if they get the information that they are now looking for. So, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I would like to see him going back to his radio job. He loves doing it. And I can see how much, down through the years, he has loved doing it. And I would love to see him back because he has a huge following and he's much loved uh, by all the children in Ireland, as you know. And, uh, of course you know, he he deserves to work because he's very good at what he does. But let's find out the answers to those unanswered questions first. Now, um, Ralph was talking about Bruce, but um, this is actually a very, very busy weekend coming up. Tourists and festival goers facing a mixture of sunshine and showers this weekend. It's traditionally the busiest weekend of the summer, the August bank holiday weekend. Fela 92, I think it was back in Thurlis, In County Tipperary, the trip to Tip took place uh, across the August bank holiday weekend. I was there; it was wonderful. Met Aaron forecasting a mix of sunshine and showers, heaviest fall. Uh, on Friday and Saturday unfortunately highest temperatures will reach a modest 19 degrees major festivals taking place this weekend include independence in Mitchellstown Co- County Cork which runs from Friday until Sunday we'll be very much part of that here on Corks 96 FM other events taking place include the street feast in Galway the Fleachol which begins on Sunday in Mullingar County Westmeath running until the 14th of August the O'Carroll and Harp festival taking place in Roscommon while Donegal is ready for the Mary from Dunlow Festival, as well as the Ballyshannon Folk and Trad Festival. Amazing music and great variety and choice uh, indeed. Now, in relation to food, um, I, I don't know whether you love going out to restaurants or whether you love takeaways Uh, and you send, maybe you spoil yourself once every few months and you book into a very nice restaurant and you make an evening of it, you get a babysitter in and you go out with friends or maybe just the two of you. Uh, Or maybe it's been a family tradition for years that you go out to a restaurant on Sunday, all of you, and uh, you have the old carvery meal, which is always beautiful. Blonnet Bergen runs thebusinessoffood.ie and she recently posted a video on Instagram about her issues around the food offerings in Ireland and the influence food inspectors are having on the fare available to us in restaurants and food trucks. Here's a little clip from Blonett's Extract on Instagram.
8: I try not to get across too often because it's not good for you. But this has been accumulating over a number of months and the common denominator is the Irish Environmental Health Officer. Let's put this into context. A student of mine contacted me the other day. And she was contacted by a friend of hers who's opened a food truck. He is doing all his own food from scratch, including beef burgers. He's buying in the meat from a local butcher, rolling them into balls and then smashing them down when he cooks them. He was recently visited by two environmental health officers who were astonished that he was making his own food from scratch to begin with. Because virtually everybody they know is buying in the stuff frozen or getting it from the local butcher. And they have stopped him uh, making his own burgers. They said you can buy it in frozen or you can get the butcher to make it. The butcher hasn't time. So he now has the option of buying in frozen burgers when he has been wanting to make the burgers better than the ones that are frozen. So this uh, student of mine who has this fabulous cafe, she's now afraid that she's going to be stopped baking her own products.
5: It's a strange situation, Blana. It's good morning to you.
8: Uh, Good morning, Gareth. Thanks for having me on. Nice to talk to you. Uh,
5: It makes perfect sense what you're saying there. In fact, it makes perfect sense because it makes no sense.
8: Yes. Um, I suppose that was the tipping point for me. I've worked Mm. in the industry for a long time and I have seen the inconsistency of application of the food laws that are there and it's driving people crazy. And I think it's not fair. I also am getting a sense, I I may not be right, but I'm getting a sense that the... You know, the uh, increase in the poor quality food that we're seeing across the in- industry, the f- phenomenal increase in processed foods and pre-prepared foods in the industry. I'm just wondering if there is possibly a connection between that and people simply being forced and harassed into buying everything in made up. And I have had I've had so many messages, I can't possibly respond to them all. But I've had messages on Instagram, on the Instagram feed. But I've also had private messages where people don't want to be identified, which tells its own story. So, you know, why is somebody afraid that they'll be identified simply by telling the truth of what's happening? Yeah, again, and I, just, I have a I'll few of those in front of me. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're interested in me reading yeah, out some please, of them. but Please do. Okay, so this is from a, a man who runs uh, three restaurants, actually. He's a very uh, experienced person in the industry, and I got his uh, message in overnight. So, uh, it's not the pedantic micromanaging level for which the EHOs are known. It's that it is left to the discretion of the EHO as to how stern and detailed they are and what details they wish to enforce. And I have first-hand experience of this as our three premises are under three different jurisdictions. One officer has a penchant for cooked rice and won't allow cooked rice, and another has never mentioned it. One has literally picked out minute details of paperwork. For example, one concluded that we cooked pea puree at a certain time, and the time it took to enter the blast chiller was five minutes too long. Another hasn't even looked at our paperwork. One demands we have batch codes for all our spices and dry goods written on the storage containers. In 15 years previous to this, I've never heard of it and haven't heard in the four years since. One says we can't put anything under our chopping boards as it would collect bacteria. Another said we must have a damp towel or blue roll under them to stop them moving. One says all our recipes, which amount to over 200, must have shelf life analysis testing. If we wish to keep them stored longer than two days, another has said the standard four days is fine. And they will always call in during lunchtime rush hour as they know that they can catch more issues more frequently as we are under pressure. It's disgraceful. It's, just, it's absolutely yeah. disgraceful. I have one other under this it's from a, a lady. She gave it to me on Instagram, so I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning a lovely cafe in Tullamore called Jenny's Kitchen. She said, we're forced to buy pre-made garbage instead of baking and cooking fresh products in the same kitchen. Small kitchens would be forced out of the industry.
5: I know Jenna's kitchen. I I, I just wonder what's
8: going on. It's pedantic.
5: And that's my my view of it. And and it appears that each different inspector has a different agenda. There's no consistency whatsoever.
8: No, no. So and the problem. Yes, go on. Sorry. No, please. You go on. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I'm very exercised. About That's this. okay. I can um, understand. Why. I've, I've had men, I've had owners, men and women crying uh, with me over this because they, 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 they. There are so many inspectors in our industry. Uh, I think people outside the industry seem, don't understand this. Uh, that there are. A Myriad inspectors and owners are so stressed trying to uh, keep in line with all of the regulations i, I it 's my opinion it 's a discussion for another day, but it 's my opinion that the industry is so overregulated that it almost makes it impossible to run a restaurant or cafe uh, but the problem is that each individual environmental health and let me say there are lots of environmental health officers who are very supportive, so I need to need to say that but there are enough environmental health officers really stressing owners out to make it a big issue and this drive towards pushing people to stop preparing fresh locally sourced quality products in the kitchen is to me is the most worrying thing of all and
5: was there a time it wasn't like this that it as, as you say it, it wasn't so over-regulated
8: it was. Uh, there was, but I think it's quite some time ago. Like I grew up in a business and we had pub, we did pub food. And I ran that uh, that part of the business for a number of years myself. And at that time, uh, there wasn't the same regulation. We simply couldn't have done, uh, my, my mother cooked food and she was an extraordinary cook. And she did just a very simple short menu. But I'm sure we couldn't do now what we did then. Um, so uh, yes, there was a time. I, I don't know whether there's a certain sort of paranoia over bacteria going on again. I could be completely wrong, but I just love to know wh- what's going on. What what is wh- what is this? Particularly with baking, like if you think about it, baking is a very low risk product, yeah. and you know. Uh, I just don't understand why somebody can't bake their own products. Actually, just to put this into context, the thing that kicked this off for me and tipped me over the edge completely was the the lady in down, you know, in West West of your own county. There was a lovely cafe and uh, her friend had a food truck and they've stopped him making his own burgers. So there were a number of comments on the Instagram feed around, you know, why did that happen? but there must have been something why they stopped him. So she she texted me last night to say, apparently he was weighing on an industrial steel countertop that's used for service later in the evening. Obviously, it's thoroughly cleaned and they said he could continue to prepare his fish there. So it really makes no sense. Mm -hmm. They did the same to another food truck last year and their prep space was very big as it was more like two large containers rather than a truck. It seems that this particular EHO's pet peeve is handling raw meat. Mm. So each of the people who's contacted me has said my particular EHO has a pet peeve. So uh, and and the other thing that um, upsets me so much, I remember I this is vividly in my memory. I had I was working with a place up in do you know what I can't even remember what county it was in. But there was a lady there and she was clearly terribly stressed and terribly overworked and she had been forced to build an extension onto the kitchen to move fridges from a perfectly legitimate place to another place because the environmental health officer didn't like where they were now it was perfectly legitimate and i know because i you know i saw where they were and the eho said to her she said you know what i think you might be just over the hill you need to retire and that's why I highlighted the disrespect that's being wow. shown to business owners. It is a it's shameful. And, you know, having grown up in a business and dealing with businesses all the time, people take risks to open a business. They uh, put their financial, you know, financial Mm. well-being on the line. They work day and night to make it work. They're creating jobs. Yeah. They're creating employment. They're adding to their communities. They're often creating something extraordinary in the community. Well, where people, you know, w- will use it as a place to gather and to meet friends. I don't know, I'm I'm terribly cross about it yeah. as I can gather. Well, I,
5: of course, <laughs> and rightly so, rightly so. And it, it's hard to believe that restaurants are not even being allowed to catch their breath after the pandem- pandemic when you consider yes. so many restaurants and food outlets popular, very popular personalised food outlets have have gone under as a result of the, the two and a half years of the pandemic? Can I just ask you, Baron the, the 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 number of cases in very popular restaurants and very well established, very famous and awarded restaurants of things like listeria, salmonella, E. coli, it's practically non-existent. Yes, and and, and but but that comes down to that comes down to the The thoroughness that goes on within that business and not by not by these sudden almost swoop inspections by the health inspectors it 's the conscientiousness of the chefs and the owners of the restaurants that keep them so popular and so clean yes so what, what, yes what, like is can somebody stand up to these people collectively, a group of you get together and say look we 've had enough." you can't keep you know you can't keep damning us like this
8: uh well i hope so um i suppose i'm in the i'm in the position where i don't own a restaurant at the moment so i'm not one of those people who's terrified to say who i am in case they come down on me like a ton of bricks and to you know to even consider that there are government paid uh, agencies that terrify the life and soul out of business owners is in itself shameful, mm. so uh, I do know that people uh, there 's a chap here what did he say right um, now he said something here if you 're brave enough to challenge a decision, they literally try to get a different problem mm. so because I say to to owners um, you know, uh, you can challenge them. So I'm. I have the Food Safety Authority of Ireland website open here on my computer, and there is a Frequently Asked Questions part in it, which would make for very interesting reading for food owners. Mm. Uh, so, um, so it gives the, the guidelines on various things. But I, I think the only thing that's been consistent about environmental health officers over the years is how inconsistent they are. Right. And it's not fair. And they come in and I remember another restaurant, Uncle Kenny, she has a place, she's been in business for 40 years. Wonderful lady. And um I won't. I won't mention the mm. the way she described her environmental health officer, but she said she wasn't sleeping at night time because of the way this person was coming in and intimidating her and frightening her. Wow! And, uh, I don't know. I I, I okay. just don't know. It's,
5: right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Blonnet, and uh, I wish you well. And I'm sure this will resonate with so many restaurateurs around yeah. Cork and West Cork. We'll hopefully get some reactions from that. Nice of you to yeah, join I'm us. I'm very this grateful
8: for the, for the time, uh, Gareth. Thank you for calling me. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice Bye to now. talk to
5: you, Blonnet Bergander, who runs Bye. the business of food. Dot uh, ie. Uh, if if you are a restaurateur, if you work in a restaurant, and you've experienced similar, um, the kind of instilling terror thing that seems to be going on. Give us a shout. You can WhatsApp us or text us 083 396 96 96 or you can email us opinion at 96fm.ie yesterday morning on the opinion line we spoke to Charlie Weston personal finance editor of the Irish independent about rising prices imminent and uh, some of them have already taken hold and Hillary thinks we need to think about some of the all of the dis- subscriptions which we have especially now some of them are uh, going up in price as well good morning to you Hillary
9: hi how are you
5: very well thank you i th- i noticed this yesterday and it's only when you see them all together you realize just how much we're actually spending on them. Isn't that true?
9: Exactly. And I would have actually thought I was saving money because we have like a cable for the aerial and then we have just online subscriptions, let's say for the telly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have been under an illusion that by doing it that way, that we were being very smart and we were saving loads of money. And I remember someone telling us that they were spending 130 a month Um, between their sky broadband and then having sky tv included with it and we keeled over and we thought oh my god 130 a month like that's a fortune you know every single month going out just for tv and internet Mm. um and then when i totted up my subscriptions it actually turns out i am at that price myself (laughs) between the internet like the separate price for the internet and then when you actually tot up all of the different so we have Now, this is there's a lot of subscriptions there because I have some and my husband has some. So I think that's also why we didn't notice, because for each of us, it probably didn't feel that much. But then when we toss it up, what we have together, uh, because one person has some subscriptions and the other has others, then you start realizing, oh, between the two of us, it's this much um, we're spending. Mm. So we have like uh, Netflix, Disney, Now TV, Amazon Prime, Apple TV and Paramount. Right. So if you average it out, like some of them might be like 12 a month and then some of them might be more like six or seven a month. Um, so even if you just made it maybe 10, you've got 60 a month straight away.
5: Mm. Um, I, I think n- Netflix, which is probably... Yeah. The most popular still, um, although Disney's coming and be qu- quite close behind. Netflix, I think, is about 16 or 17 a month. But now they have said yeah. that they're looking at the whole idea of sharing passwords and sharing, you know, your account with other people. So there's a possibility yeah. that it will just be one account, one password per house. So you can't share it with friends. You can't, you know, that you can't let them in on your account with your password.
9: Yes, um, and I do think we're probably already sharing our Netflix, possibly. Well, I think everybody, I think everybody <laughs> yeah,
5: does. Yeah, everybody <laughs> yeah, does. Then, yeah. then also, you've got fifteen euro per month for your TV license because it's about one hundred and sixty a year.
3: Yeah. So when you add yeah. in
5: all of that, um, t- just t- tell me a little bit about why have you got so many? Uh, even though I suppose the the obvious answer is because we've got a wide variety of people in the house who watch different channels.
9: Yeah, and sometimes it can literally be one show. So I'm pretty sure with the Paramount subscription, um, there's a show with Idris Elba. I, do, I can't remember what it's called now, but that show is only on Paramount, so it's the only way to watch that show. So I'll stay subscribed until that show is over. <laughs> yeah, just to be because it's a it's a weekly thing, so they just put out the episode a week. Um, but having said that, like I would need to do more research too because if. Sky TV already had the channel that shows some of the shows that I'm using these subscriptions for. I could be at just the same price. And I was really shocked at that um, because I was under an illusion that I was saving money. And actually, that's not the case at all. When you start adding, you know, totting them all up, mm. um, which could be an interesting exercise for people because, you know, also, let's say people let's say I subscribe to Paramount just for that show. And then, of course, the show could end and, you know, life is busy and whatever, and you're letting a subscription run. You might even forget that you not only did you have Apple TV, but you actually also through Apple TV had another subscription for Paramount. And you can they have multiple um, subscriptions within Apple TV Mm. that you can subscribe to. So you could have Apple TV and you could have like maybe three other channels within that. And then all of those other channels have their own price. Um, per month as <laughs> Never well. thought and about you this. Could, yeah, you could easily forget. Yeah,
5: yeah. yeah. D- can I ask you a question? Do you watch RTE? Um, for the
9: news, yes. Outside of that, rarely
0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
5: So, how, what are your views about the television license?
9: Um, God, it's, you know, I, my opinion, I suppose, was always based on the BBC model, um, which is that. If you have a TV channel that's being paid for through the TV license, Mm. then we should not be shown ads at all on that channel. That should be purely because, you see, the argument for it is that you get a more fair, um, let's say, news service or whatever that isn't at the behest of its advertisers. So if you have a very large advertiser that is worth, you know, a certain amount of money to you, whatever, and let's say you uncover a scandal about someone or whatever, that there's a little bit more like objectivity anyway, which is kind of it's meant to be, let's say, the news channel for the people that isn't at the behest of advertisers and can report the truth like better than other channels that are at the behest of advertisers if that makes sense yes um so to me it never made sense that you pay the tv license but then you also have ads yes having both to me is bizarre Mm -hmm. um and i always thought it must it must stick in the craw of uh, channels like tv3 who have managed to survive in ireland for you know i don't know how many years now but they're around a really long time now yeah Virgin Media, as Virgin
5: Media they're known as now, and the CEO of Virgin Media came out recently, and quite, quite, you know, he was quite outspoken about this whole issue with RTE. He said, "You either get the license fee, or you get to play adverts and commercials and sponsorship. You don't get the two of them." And the BBC, as you know, is very, very, very. It's it's meticulous about this. They're very reluctant to even mention. Placement in in terms of advertising, you know. So exactly, this is something I think. Um, considering today, the headlines are that RTE's uh, license revenue has dropped again in July, quite seriously. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. if this continues. Th- th- let's go back uh, to it, what we were talking about, Hilary, if we can. Yeah, y- you were yeah. talking about the basically it's 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 the extras that you don't really realise are adding up to be quite expensive. So, for example, Microsoft Office. That's very expensive.
9: Yeah, it is. Actually, I just use um, Google Docs now for that reason. And well, I'm kind of in the Apple ecosystem anyway, and I have a MacBook rather than Windows. Um, But I do find I do enjoy... Google Docs, which you can get that through your Gmail account. Mm-hmm. And then all of your documents will also be in the cloud, which is kind of a bonus as well, just in case you accidentally delete something or whatever. But I do know that there are businesses that they have to be in the Microsoft ecosystem or maybe even, you know, people just for whatever reason, maybe they have to do their own books or whatever. Um, they have to be in the Microsoft ecosystem. Um, and yeah, those those types of subscriptions are quite expensive as well. And this like, is the I'm likes of myself, my,
5: my Adobe and full Adobe. That's quite expensive, 30 yeah. euro a yeah. month. Yeah.
9: Yeah. Like, I'm a freelance um, web designer, SEO person. And, like, there is there's an Adobe kind of suite that you can um, subscribe to. I think, though, it's between like maybe 60 and 90 euro a month. Mm. Um, but you can get a reduced version of that, even. This is the thing about like just maybe learning or just researching thinking about like what am I actually using so when I looked at let's say the Adobe suite I was like I really only need Adobe Photoshop where they're offering with the full package you're getting you know maybe 10 different apps or whatever um but I was able to call that down and say well actually I'm not using those I'm really just using Photoshop and Lightroom and it turned out they have a subscription just for Photoshop Lightroom and you get Adobe Express as well as like a little kind of a a bonus I suppose thrown into that package and then that one was only I think it's around 12 a month Mm -hmm. so that's a really big difference as well and it's a great saving like over the year that's an amazing saving versus you know you could be going over 60 euro anyway at least for the full full package which you might not even need right um
5: so realistically you're looking at I I mentioned this to Charlie Weston from the Irish Independent yesterday you could be looking at an extra 1000 euro Per year that you don't realise you're spending on all of these different uh, yep. s- sub-channels and streaming services and, and as you say, software that you need for work.
9: Yeah, and especially if it's a freelancer, because freelancers are really like down to the wire for overheads and stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, So freelancers, a lot of time, they can't afford to take the burden of all of those subscriptions and they're probably not charging enough to really justify the amount that's going out. Um, so that's a really worthwhile thing for anyone else that would be like self-employed, freelancing, that kind of thing, or small business um, to take a look at those. And as I said, like when I looked at even the Adobe thing, which is only one product, like I can save, you know, 50 to 60 euro a month, but still get the app. I still have the thing that I needed. Um, but I, I'm just saving that amount a month rather than a lot of people probably go in and they just think, oh, I need to subscribe to Adobe and adobe of course are going to show you oh here's our full package and you're just click 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 and you're probably subscribed to the full package and you might not actually be using like you might be using you know 15% of what you actually subscribe to yeah um
5: but getting charged for the full 100% if there is such thing and, and just for those who don't know exactly. adobe is um fr- from my experience down through the years it's the editing audio editing and that that uh, we would do here uh, but Hilary it's great to talk to you and thanks for giving us that insight from uh, from a freelancer's point of view great to talk to you, thank you
9: Thank you so much, you too Thanks, thanks. that's
5: Hilary Sheehan uh, Just coming back to the RTE television licence um, and this is something I thought of last night it's an interesting point um, someone, um, I, I think it might have been one of the ministers or it could have been someone high up the ranks in RTE uh, they were defending the television licence and the point they were making was that uh, RTE television creates and produces some fantastic drama and there's no doubting that because when you look at some of the dramas that uh, RTE has produced and financed over the years, sometimes in conjunction with the BBC, other times in conjunction with say Channel 4, um, it's just superb quality, it's, it's, it's top class and he was saying that if the licence fee drops or if people don't subscribe to the licence fee, well then we may have to sacrifice the quality of the drama we get to see thanks to that. But one thing I noticed is that most of the big dramas we watch on RT television have a sponsor. So you have a sponsor at the very beginning and you see the sponsor's name coming up again and again and again during the commercial breaks and that. So once again it brings the whole thing back to that conflict between... TV license plus advertising versus TV license or commercial advertising. A couple of your calls and comments. The caller says, Gareth, I'm on the food producer side of the things, um, supplying restaurants, etc. And I would have similar experiences to those recounted by Blonid. One day I got brave and questioned this uh, inspector's knowledge in terms of why things are done in a particular way. He said he wasn't there to answer questions. They're coming out of college and I think they have significant gaps in their knowledge. The power they have is awful, though. The amount of paperwork in my office is mind-boggling. Thank you for that. Um, Another one here from Lisa. She says, good morning, Gareth. You sounded great. Now, fab to hear you back. I hope you're well on the mend from when I last saw you. If you could shout out a big happy birthday to my mother, Catherine. Happy birthday, Catherine. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, That's from Lisa from Mill Street, who... um, Uh, I think it's Lisa who was in South Infirmary actually And looked after me so well while I was there Thank you and thanks to all of the team in the South And once again in CUH I spoke earlier with Blonard Who raised the issue of the pressure Environmental health officers are putting on Small food businesses And uh, uh, Morris has contacted us Morning to you Morris
7: Good morning Gareth
5: Um, You were in the position of Environment health consultant for a while Isn't that the case?
10: I was yeah for about uh, 4 or 5 years um when I left uh, hotels I became a, a a consultant only working for restaurants and kitchens etc.
5: Right. And do you agree with Blonard's viewpoint on the whole the severity as 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 it would be as it certainly it seems from my perspective of the inspections of some of the the, the health officers.
2: Yeah, I I suppose it's uh,
10: I mean again I have to Uh, balance the criticism of some EHOs who tend, can be extremely officious um, and quite honestly threatening. Mm. Uh, I, I, on a number of occasions with small uh, restaurants or food producers, um, I would challenge them straight on their demands. And I suppose the best advice I'd give to a small, particularly like the the, the food trucks and stuff, where it's one man or two men shows, um, is to, you just stay calm, and you say to the ATO, please put what you're asking me to do in writing. Right. um, And reference the specific food hygiene regulation that that request is under. And you'll often find they go away, because it's an, you know, if they feel or they think or they they want um, uh, something... But if you ask them in writing, um, it puts manners on any demand Mm. from any third party.
5: Well, I suppose it adds to their workload in the sense that they then have to confirm in writing the requests they're making. But one thing that that, that surprises me, Mars, is the power they have that one individual can, at a moment's notice, shut a small business down.
10: Now, now, I mean, uh, for the purpose of the radio, I won't go into all the details, but Mm. effectively... That is the power an EHO has. They can shut your kitchen down. They can shut part of your area down. Now, they'll need to go back to their um, supervisor, etc. Um, but, you know, the way it works is a supervisor will take the um, the word of their subordinate. If there's a health risk and everybody's afraid of making a mistake. So be cautious and shut somebody down. Restauranteurs know that, Um Uh, You know, I mean, I I had the crazy situation um, um, at times with some clients where when I would do an audit uh, with them, knowing that they're due to get an EHO audit, and I couldn't find anything wrong, we'd go out and we'd smash a tile or something uh, (laughs) deliberately so that something could be found, some error, something wrong could be found so that they wouldn't start diving deeper and deeper and deeper. Because if you look at any company, if you if you go down a, a rattler hole you'll find something wrong. wrong.
3: Yeah. You know,
10: I mean uh, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of restaurateurs want to uh, f- uh, cook great food and serve it to the customers and hopefully make a profit. Um and the ACOs should be supporting them, not making their life difficult. But they have that power. I suppose the frustration is I, I work for a lot of the larger businesses. So, you know, we front up, you know, we say, sorry, we're not doing that. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, because it's a, uh, you know, how far can you go with food hygiene? Well, yeah, let's buy it all in, in sealed plastic bags and bung it in a pot of hot water and serve it. Um, you know, yeah. so that's not cooking. That's not, that's perfectly safe. Potentially, yeah. uh, you know, it ruins, it ruins the quality. It ruins the, 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 the individuality. It ruins the entrepreneurship.
5: Yeah, and uh, the experience of of spending a night in in a restaurant that you've heard so much about because the food is so uniquely cooked and and so unique in itself. I mean, I, I wouldn't go to a restaurant if I thought that they're going to pull out a, a bag of uh, of a of hundred burgers that they've bought in wholesale. You you want to see the culinary delight of the chef making the burger because you know totally. they're the best burgers.
10: Totally, totally, and if, and they, you know, and they're going to buy it from a from a, a safe route, etc., and and handle it properly. So, you know, it's about risk. Uh, food hygiene is about um, uh, analyzing the risk of something happening bad, um, and then managing backwards. And um, there, I mean, I, I famously now, I, I it was my one of my my bones of contentions is I'm a steak tartare man. Steak tartare is raw at steak. And EHO after EHO have shut, stopped restaurants serving raw fillet steak. And there is no reason to, if I as a customer know the risk, potential risk, I choose to buy a steak tartare, which is raw chopped fillet steak.
3: Yeah. Why
5: can't I? Yeah, that's, that's the blue steak, as they call it, isn't it?
10: No, it's further than the blue, oh, steak. blue right, okay. steak is. Blue steak is, 10, is 15 seconds on a hot pan each side. Right. and Steak tartare is minced, raw, fillet steak with capers and and, 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 and raw egg yolk yeah. and all sorts of things that potentially could do... Huge it, risk. But if, it's, if, but if the quality of the ingredients are 100% from reputable, safe suppliers, it's an incredibly safe, lovely, delicious dish eaten across Europe. Yeah. Across uh, Europe, for this yeah. time immemorial.
5: Yeah, and and uh, you know, often people wonder about countries like, say, Italy and France and the way they regulate food. Is it time for a more continental approach?
10: Well, I, I, you know, uh, the, the, the 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 food hygiene, the safety people will always say, well, risk, risk, risk. You know, but you know, if 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 we live on the basis of eliminating all risk, we wouldn't leave our beds, and even then, but yeah, sleeping in your bed could be dangerous because something, <laughs> the roof might fall in on top of you. That's true. Uh, you know, yeah, we've got to take a, a balanced approach. Uh, but the guys who have the... I absolutely hear blundered um, um, uh, frustration. It's the small artisan producers, and it's not just restaurants, it's small, tiny food producers um, who don't have the... They can't employ consultants. They, you know, they're, they're, they're afraid. They are quite simply afraid because the power of the EHO and if it's not properly used um, you know I mean I would I would always uh, say that uh, to, to the residents, work with your EHO ask them for advice they're, they're actually primarily there to assist and support you in um, operating a safe food business
3: mm. uh,
10: but there are the outliers and I hear you with a, with a is there an organisation is there a way to um, and, um, um, you know, uh, 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 unobtrusively or uh, uh, put for a complaint forward. And uh, maybe, you know, they just need to speak up a bit more um, and, and, and name names if there are, you know, I mean, I knew, um, I worked in the South, I won't say where, <laughs> um, and I knew DHOs who would be a problem. Mm. Um, and, yes, constantly different messages from different DHOs on, you know, what's their pet age? You'd have to learn them. You know that's not the way to do business with somebody who has power over your business operations
5: just coming back to the point you made there Morris, in relation to if if you if you are the subject of an inspection, get them to write down the minutes of the inspection and send them to you and, and also more more importantly to write down the demands they're making of you um, and would it could we go as far as to say that if Collectively, you published some of these demands. That you let the public see some of these crazy demands and expectations in writing. People might become more aware of, it, of of the demands on hoteliers and restaurateurs.
10: Oh yeah, I mean I'm all for transparency. Uh, you know, I mean absolutely. If, you know, I uh, put it out. I now I I, 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 I I tried to pull a fast one once with a uh, with a, a brand new EHO. Um, where they asked me to, they asked my client to store um, mayonnaise that was in individual sachets in the fridge, because if you look at the reg mayonnaise is a high risk item, um, which requires to be refrigerated to five degrees. Um, <laughs> but mayonnaise in a sealed package, which we all get sitting at our bar table, is a sealed container which does not have to be refrigerated. I almost got that in writing. Um, but their, their their boss saw what I was up to and stopped them. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's a, you know, But if you follow the if you actually follow the rules, it's mayonnaise. Yeah. So why isn't it refrigerated? You know. So it's 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 there's just nuances. Fundamentally, it goes back to: um, Are you operating a you know a safe operation? Are you uh, can, is your hygiene excellent and pretty much? I mean, again, go back to these food courts. Uh, food uh, stalls, the stands—you uh, know—they're all over Ireland. <laughs> they are brilliant. Yeah. You know, they are brilliant, and the, and we as well. This day and age, as customers, if if we were uh, served rubbish food or bad food, or we um, attend—you know—stepped up to a, a truck and we saw it was filthy, dirty, it would be on the internet immediately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, the customer, <laughs> will be out there saying, "Don't go to Johnny's." That's disgusting. All right, you know. So, so there's a there's an even greater pressure um, for, for to businesses on doing well and doing it extremely well.
5: Mm. As as AI threatens a lot of jobs, um, as, as we're reading now, Mars. It's things like food production will be even more important for jobs. Like, is this? Do you think this will stop people from opening businesses?
10: No, you know. There's uh, no, um, because I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm I just say, uh, restauranteur is one of the maddest people you will find in the world, um, because it's a, it's a recipe for losing money. Um, so, but you have restaurants opening every day of the week, closing every day of the week, and opening every day of the week. The belief that restauranteurs have is phenomenal, and I just I absolutely respect them for that. But making money is brutally hard. Yeah. Um, so uh, AI, don't get me going on that. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm, an, I'm a Terminator Watcher guy, and I'm terrified.
5: <laughs> <laughs> make, that makes two of us. I'd love to see AI intelligence actually putting your steak tartare together.
10: <laughs> well, uh, well, you, you know, but, but, but she, I, you know, I, you don't know. I yeah. mean, with um, if you go to um, what's the um, what's the printing um, 3D printing now? Oh, yeah. um, we, we you can buy a 3D printer that makes that creates food items.
3: Mm.
10: Uh, you know, I could get a 3D printer to actually um, create a burger, and then we'd serve it to you mm. with ingredients, food ingredients, into it. It's, it's staggering what, what's, uh, what's available. Yeah, but, right. uh, you know, but what what's what, what better than fresh fish uh, on the coast of uh, West Cork um, on a food truck, lightly battered, uh, the, the, I can't. I don't. I don't know. The, I can't remember the name of the uh, fish shop on the bridge at Kinsale uh, Local produce, uh, leaf cooked, served to you piping the hot. Well, brilliant. You can't beat this. Yeah. You know. Great it's to talk, talk to
5: you, Morris. Thank you.
10: My, Gareth, my pleasure.
5: My pleasure Cheers. too. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. And uh, one of our callers saying, apparently, steak tartare is vile. I had a, a friend try this in London. She tried it just for the novelty, but said the taste was in her mouth for hours afterwards. Ugh. The texture and coloured and all that are grand, but the taste is not. The
0: Minds are live. Oh, Join the conversation Call 0818 969696. 96,
4: 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Watch 96
5: FM And don't forget, after the show, every day you can, uh, you can go to the podcasts, you can download them um, on Twitter, you can go to... Uh, Various parts of the show, where you can listen to the entire show from start to finish. Um, if uh, if you, you can't listen to it live, now just in relation to some of the items we were covering this morning, uh, we were talking about subscri- subscription costs and how they add up. Hillary Sheehan joined as freelance web designer, and she was talking about how, as a freelancer. Uh, In order to be competitive and to be successful, you have to subscribe to a lot of software and that. Johnny Doyle uh, calling from the UK, I think it is, Johnny. Uh, He says, Gareth, Nitro PDF editor, 20 quid, once off, well worth it for the work most people do on PDFs with no subscription. Uh, Take the wins. Uh, Libre Office is another one, by the way. Um, It it was put together the best of my knowledge, by a lot of former Microsoft workers. So basically you get a lot of the facilities and a lot of the uh, the programs that you would get on Microsoft, but it's free. It's free of charge. Libre, L-I-B-R-E, Libre Office. And it's very, very good. Bernie says, in relation to RTE, we were talking about license fees and we were talking about the inevitable return of Ryan Tuberty to his radio show. Gareth, I honestly can't think of one good program that's produced by RTE and I think there's too much reverence for them in the media. Honestly, you can... Uh, You have to see it from the listener-viewer point of view. There have been so many times that people are told the show is going to be great and it turns out to be cringeworthy. So many times we are told that a presenter is loved by everyone and while we mightn't hate him, he just wouldn't gel with us. I think their lifestyles, their interests and their outlooks are so far away from the people that they broadcast to, it's almost beyond repair, Bernie says, um... Yeah, um, interesting viewpoints in that. Yeah, they certainly are extremely well paid. um, And I something I've always wondered about is how someone who is so, so well paid, a very, very generous six-figure salary, and yet they talk live on air on some of their radio shows to people who are living in cars and people who are suicidal because of the deaths and because of the conditions that they live in. Um, And one... I suppose one comparison I made there recently was that uh, a nurse uh, a, 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 um, a general nurse in one of our hospitals is probably coming home with uh, what would it be I think their starting salary is somewhere around about 30,000 30, so take a third out of that anyway um, and then you look at the people in RTE who are on 300,000 uh, it's a considerable difference particularly when you hear the presenter talking to the nurse now, uh, if you would like to give us a shout, please do. We'd love to hear from you. You can call 0818 96, 96, 96 Text or WhatsApp your messages 083 And the email address is opinion at 96fm.ie. This week is World Breastfeeding Week. Jackie Beamish runs Cork Friends of Breastfeeding. And she wanted to talk about the hurtful comments some breastfeeding mums experience and she's on the line right now. Morning, Jack. Oh, thank you. Can I ask you a question first? And this is something that uh, my wife noticed that um, I think it's in Tesco, yes, that you can't use your club card points to buy baby mix, baby food, baby powder. You know, the, um, the ones yeah. that you, you can actually. Um, so, uh, uh, what are your views on that?
6: Well, it's it's actually, there's a, the World Health Organization has um, a specific code regarding infant formula um, and infant food for under six months. So it's actually against the World Health Organization code to have those products on promotion or to give offers or discounts or promote them in any way. Um, and that's the World Health Organization's view on, on regarding supporting breastfeeding moms.
5: Do they give so, a reason for for it? I'm, I'm just curious.
6: Um, I'm not sure. They probably do. I don't know the wording of the code exactly offhand. um, But I suppose the reason is that you know promoting those those products and marketing them like that and giving giving promotional offers it's it seemed to be neg- have a negative impact on people's breastfeeding journeys okay um yeah. you know because a, a lot of people might say sure look you know it's just easier to do formula especially if you can get it at a discounted rate you know and the reality is that you know newborns need to be fed and they need to be fed frequently regardless of what method you're using to feed them mm. um so so that that for the the club card points and things, that's down to the World Health Organization. So it's actually right. it's actually illegal for supermarkets to, to give points on them or promote them in any way um, or, you know, do a two-for-one or a discounted offer on them for under six months.
5: Okay, Linda here is saying it's, it's rather unfair on parents, on mothers who would like to breastfeed but can't because these formulas are quite expensive. But thanks for clarifying that anyway, uh, Jackie. Nice to talk to you this morning. Now, in relation to comments uh, that are hurtful and offensive to breastfeeding mums. Do, do, you find, do you find this happens frequently You in your own experience?
6: Um, in my personal experience, I mean, I have three daughters and I breastfed all of them. Um, I wouldn't have had that many negative comments. I suppose I have a very supportive husband and supportive family members Um, but through running the breastfeeding groups breastfeeding support groups and and working with Quidu and Friends of Breastfeeding um, and through my own my own work I'm a birth and postpartum doula a lot of moms would get negative comments from from family members like you know surely they can't be hungry again you just fed them two hours ago Um, sure if you if they weren't if you weren't breastfeeding they might be sleeping better at night Um, you know things like that can be very hurtful especially for moms who do want to breastfeed and breastfeed exclusively um you know it would be far better for them to say something a lot more positive and supportive like look sure look i'll do some laundry there or i'll bring over a couple of dinners or i'll hold the baby while you get a nap i mean the reality is all breast all babies whether they're breastfed or formula fed for the first six weeks should be fed on demand Mm. when they're hungry not on a timetable and they are not programmed to sleep at night they don't have a circadian rhythm they don't make their own melatonin and they don't know the difference between night and day that really doesn't kick in till around three or four to six months so you know those kind of comments can be very damaging to a breastfeeding relationship because it it causes the mother to doubt herself Mm. and you know even if somebody says oh sure look would you just give a bottle so you can get a decent sleep that does have a negative ne- negative impact in the first six weeks on a breastfeeding relationship because if you're not feeding the baby at the breast for that feed your breast won't make that milk then for the next feed so one one bottle of formula might not seem like a big deal but it can it's a slippery slope and it can have a very negative impact overall um, because it it can cause reduction in Milk supply. And obviously, then, you know, it, it's got a knock on effect of you don't have the milk for the baby. So you give another bottle of formula, then you don't make milk again. So, you know, those comments can be very, very um, detrimental to the breastfeeding relationship and the success of a breastfeeding mother. Um, and also, it can have a negative impact on her mental health and her trust in her body.
5: And do they come, do they come from strangers or do they come from f- family members and friends or both?
6: Both, I would think, yeah, I would say both. um so what sort of a both, comment would yeah. you get
5: from a stranger?
6: Um, I suppose it could be you know a, a good a, a comment lots of people like to ask in the supermarket or whatever when they're cooing over your nice newborn is, are they good? Are they sleeping at night? And obviously, they're not sleeping at night. And of course, they're good. They're babies. They don't know how to be bad. They're not out robbing banks, you know. Um, All babies are good in that way. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I know it's a throwaway comment, but it it can have an impact. And, you know, if if you say, oh, sir, I was up four times last night. I'm tired. You know, because they ask sir. you give them a bottle. Do you know? Mm. Like, they'd be sleeping better if you were giving a bottle. But that's not the reality of it with newborn babies. You know, as I said, they're not programmed to sleep at night the way we are. Um, they're they're designed to wake up frequently. It's a protection me- mechanism against SIDS. Yeah. Um, they only have a one hour, forty-five to sixty-minute sleep awake window. So, they're they're meant to be waking up frequently for feeds. Right. So yeah,
5: that yeah makes perfect sense. One of the comments, and it, it's a very hurtful comment. Would you be more comfortable covering up?
6: It's a very hurtful comment and it's ah. actually illegal in Ireland to ask a breastfeeding mother to cover up. You can legally breastfeed anywhere in this country and nobody has the right to tell you you can't. Um, and actually, if you're out in public, say if you're in a restaurant and somebody complains to the management about you, the onus is on the manager to say to that person, "You, we can't actually ask her to stop or cover up or go into a different room. That's mm-hmm. against the law you know, um, and that can be very hurtful. And I mean, if your baby is latched on um, and you're being discreet, and you can definitely be discreet with breastfeeding, you wouldn't see any more than if somebody was wearing a low-cut top or if they were at the beach wearing a swimsuit. Yeah. You know, Mm. so it's... And I mean, they're just breasts. That's what they're meant to be for. They're meant to be for feeding our babies. That's what they were designed for. That's their purpose. So I, I don't understand the big deal about people covering up. You're just feeding your baby.
3: Yeah. Your baby
6: deserves to be fed where, whenever they're hungry, wherever you are. Um, and you shouldn't have to hide away at home for fear of what the public might think about you breastfeeding your baby in mm. a cafe or a restaurant or a library or a church, you know.
5: Another one of the comments uh, that's regularly thrown out there is, isn't she too old?
6: yeah, that yeah, that is one that's that's regularly thrown out there. Um I mean, it's nobody else's business how long you breastfeed your children for. Um, the World Health Organization recommends exclusive breastfeeding for six months and from then till at least two years in conjunction with solid foods. Um, that's the World Health Organization recommendation, and I mean, the health benefits alone, you know the longer you breastfeed your baby, the lower you you're lowering your risk of breast cancer and certain other female cancers. If you have a daughter, you're also lowering her risk of certain female cancers as she becomes an adult. Um, It's really nobody's business how long you choose to breastfeed your baby for. Um, Baby's main source of nutrition until 12 months should be breast milk or formula, Even even when they start solid foods. Their main source of nutrition should be their milk so you know why are we telling people with an eight nine ten month old baby that they're too old to be breastfeeding you know some people say as well oh sure once they can ask for it they're too old but sure they're asking for it from the day they're born Mm. they just don't use words they use their hunger cues and instincts so does that mean we don't feed them when they're asking for it at birth you know it's Mm -hmm. it's silly and it it really shouldn't make any difference to Joe Soap or Mary down the road what you're doing with your children in your house in your family. It's the decision for the parents and what's right for them and their family unit. And the public really shouldn't have an impact on it. They in shouldn't, it shouldn't
5: interfere, basically.
6: Absolutely not. Yes. Absolutely
5: not.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Back to the old
5: chestnut of of young children in posh restaurants, for want of a better word. Have you encountered much, m- <laughs> many of these comments? if you're breastfeeding in a restaurant with the rest of the family at the table?
6: um, I wouldn't have personally myself. I mean, as I said, I breastfed my own three daughters and I would have gone out with them from very young ages. My, my middle girl, she was six weeks old and I went out for dinner with a, a bunch of friends and I just popped her into a baby carrier and I fed her at the table when she was hungry and she slept for most of it. I mean, just because we have small babies and we're feeding them, it shouldn't mean we can't go out and live our lives. Um now I wouldn't be inclined to have her out late at night anyway, you know, because that's that's I wouldn't want to be late out with mm. a baby at night. But, you know, if if somebody has an event and I want to go and I just pop my baby in a baby carrier and breastfeed them, it when they need to be breastfed. Mm. Um it's it's actually probably far easier than making formula bottles because when your baby starts to get hungry, it's right there, it's ready. Yeah. Whereas if you're preparing a bottle of formula, the baby might get more hungry and start screaming and be more disruptive. Um, that's my personal experience anyway. Um, Makes but it, sense, it definitely it? Yeah. shouldn't, mm. yeah, it's, it shouldn't mean that you can't go out and live your life just because you mm. had a baby. Um, people keep, people are von, fond of saying, oh, you need to get your life back and you need to be doing this and you need to be out and about. But we shouldn't have to leave our babies to do that. You know, some some mothers don't want to leave their babies when they're small, even if they're formula feeding. They want to bring them with them. And that's, it should be that way. Yeah, that's their you know, yeah. I think, yeah, the public should be far more supportive of of mothers with young babies and fathers with young babies, mm. um, you know, rather than condemning them and saying, no, you shouldn't be doing that.
5: Finally, Jackie, the theme for World Breastfeeding Week 2023, which is this week, is let's make breastfeeding at work work. Do you hear yeah. a, do, do do breastfeeding mothers hear a lot of these hurtful comments in the workplace?
6: They would do, I think, yeah. Um, and it's it's actually really good because recently Ireland are changing the the breastfeeding breaks limit. Um, up until now, you only got an, you only got um, an entitlement for a breastfeeding break until six months of age. But for most people, don't go back to work until their baby is seven, eight, nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, from now on, I think legally your employer has to give you an hour a day, either to pump or to go and breastfeed your baby. Um, And that's up until two years. Um, So that's a really positive thing, I think, to make it easier for mothers um, to go back to work if they want to um, and still continue breastfeeding um, rather than feeling they need to give up because they're working shifts or overnights and things like that. And, you know, um. So yeah, so that mm. would be. That's a very positive thing recently as well.
5: Okay, Jackie. Thanks for talking to us this morning.
6: No problem at all.
5: Thank you. That's Jackie Beamish there, who runs Cork Friends of Breastfeeding and uh, it's World Breastfeeding Week this week. Now, a survey of Cork City Council housing tenants conducted by Sinn Fein has found a disturbing number of tenants have serious problems and issues with ongoing and preventative maintenance issues. Uh, Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould, joins me now. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Gareth. Um, what What are the main maintenance issues?
11: Well, what we've done with the survey, uh, what the survey shows, is that there are huge issues in relation to leaks, dampness, mould, especially um, in attics, in, around windows, and... In bathrooms, and what's happening then is, and uh, what the survey shows is that 80 per, 87% of people who responded have said that they've experienced housing maintenance issues in the past two years. And of those, 60% said that they've contacted council over 10 times and still no work has been carried out. So, what we have is we have people who are in urgent need of housing maintenance repairs and it's not being done and then the situation is getting worse and people have said that they're they're cleaning the mould, they're painting over it, but as long as there's leaks getting into the house and like uh, some of the stories are really horrific and it's people are really upset because the quality of their life and the conditions they're living in, in some cases, are just deplorable.
5: So the house, basically, in a lot of these situations, is an unhealthy environment for a family to live in.
11: That's right. And what we do know in Ireland, we have a huge uh, amount of people who've got asthma-related issues, COPD, and other issues involving um, your lungs, your chest, and to be living in properties that have major issues of mould, dampness, the cold. You see, the, the, one of the big problems is a lot of the housing stock that Cox City Council has. Cox City Council has over 10,500 houses, but a lot of them were built 60, 70, 80 years ago. And what the survey says what people said is nearly 80% of people have said there has been no preventative maintenance carried out in their houses. And a lot of these tenants are living in these houses over 10 years, some of them 20, 30, 40 years, and not having preventative maintenance. And the reason for that, Gareth, is during the austerity years, all the local authorities like Cork City Council and Cork County Council had their budgets cut. Their staffing for maintenance was cut, and none of these works were carried out for years. And now we're seeing the results of it now. And the thing about it then is if these jobs were carried out at the start, these small leaks had been fixed, uh, houses had been insulated, there they would have been actually the repairs would have been quite cheap or would have been quite small. But no, because the repairs have been left for years these have developed into really much bigger jobs which will cost an awful lot more money and they need to be done. And what we're saying is we're going to present this report now, this survey, to the council and and to the Department of Housing. And what we're going to say is in the upcoming budget, there needs to be money allocated by Cox City Council and the government to actually carry out these repairs. Because Cox City Council is a landlord. If a mm. private landlord was carrying on like this, they'd be reported to the r t b and they would be or could be taken to court like people shouldn't be left in these type of conditions,
5: yeah, I mean, looking at some of the maintenance issues, you wouldn't leave a dog in some of those
11: conditions, and the, the problem is the housing crisis is so bad at the moment, and as you know you've you've covered it yourself uh, it's on it's on the radio, it's on the television every day. People are accepting living in conditions that they shouldn't have to. And Cox City Council is failing them because, like, they have a duty to care to their tenants. These are tenants who are paying their rent. Some of these tenants are paying big rents, you know. So these aren't people who are renting for free. These are people who are living in houses for years. And, like, what people have said. Fifty-four percent said the maintenance has been going on. Issue has been going on for over two years, mm. which means then it's getting worse. And the total of people service said an inspector came out, inspected the property, saw the issue, and no one ever came back to them. Even and though they even though they
5: promised to return and fix the problem, they didn't come back.
11: That's right. That's that's what the total over the total of people have. The, the thing we being in some of these houses when you see the mould and the damp and just the, 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 how cold these places are, you know, um, Like you hear the minister and the government talking about retrofitting and uh, all the money they're given. Where is the money for, for people who are living in these conditions? Because, like, these are properties that need to be repaired. And Cox City Council has a duty of care. And we take no. The council must step up here, allocate the money. And the other thing is, like, it, what I'm looking to see is people are contacting me, they're very angry now. Yeah. They feel they're being neglected, they feel they're not being listened to. Like, we're trying to come up with a solution now, and our solution is to put funding in place, to carry out. Let's start with the most severe, the, the most urgent cases. Let's carry out those repairs. And then as we go forward, incrementally, we can start bringing these houses up to standard. Like, I I came I come from Lough Lock is over 50 years old. I live in Granabracha now. Those houses are over 80 years old. Now, I own my own house, I maintain it, but a lot of people who are council tenants, like a lot of pensioners, a lot of older people, people with disabilities, the really vulnerable people or people with young children uh, are living in terrible conditions. And there was one woman who raised serious concerns with me about her children who are chronic asthmatics living in these conditions. So it's... Cork City Council needs to step up to the mark here.
5: Has Cork City Council just turned... It's back on these individuals because, I mean, a lot of these houses now, Thomas. The, the damage and the, the the maintenance issues are becoming structural problems that may never be fixed. They may not. It may not be possible to fix them. For example, forty-two percent uh, complained of of serious damp problems, dampness, leaks. Forty percent uh, windows buckling, broken. Uh, window frames 49% external doors so there's a safety problem security problem there um also roof problems 23% has the, has the council it, just turned its back
11: on on these residents you see the problem here Gareth is because of the austerity cutbacks the council never kicked up and highlighted how under-resourced housing maintenance was. I suppose the council didn't want to be pointing the finger at the government and the Department of Housing, even though we've been saying this and the tenants have been saying this for years. And what happened then was there was a blind eye turned to it It was brushed underneath the carpet and as long as people weren't kicking up a fuss. no, there is some maintenance carried out, but the problem, it's too little and it's too late. Mm. We need a proper plan. We need a fully funded plan. And like you made a point there, 23% of people who responded have leaks in their roofs. The water is only going one way. The water comes through the bedrooms, down through the wires. We have people know. people have contacted me who cannot turn on the lights in their bedrooms or the bathrooms because of water leaking through the roof getting into their uh, electricity cables and sockets and you've you've had situations where council uh, electricians had to go out and turn off electricity to certain parts of people's houses because it wasn't safe and is not safe because of leaks yeah. no the whole point here is that's not good enough. These the, the following day, someone should have been up to their house to repair the leak in the roof. And then, like, we've had people contacting us who their ceilings have collapsed because of the dampness being there so long that, like, it's only plasterboard. It's only, like, that's all your ceiling is. And if you wet that, it just crumbles. And like, to live in those conditions, I was in a house... I won't say the area where you you could look up into this into their ceiling. You could there was a hole in the ceiling because of the dampness, and you're looking up into the attic. And this is a lady with three children. Uh, like the the husband made a point to me, and what a lot of people have told me, a lot of tenants are carrying out the work themselves, and they're spending their own money doing the work. But the problem is a lot of people can't afford to do the work. A lot of people are vulnerable, are old, have young children. And, and like, it's not the responsibility. Cox the City Council, the council is, the ten- is the landlord. And tenants have rights, and they mm. should have rights.
5: One respondent, Thomas, says, I am petrified of rats and I can hear them all year round in the attic and cavity walls. We put poison down regularly to no avail. I want out of here more than anything, but I can't get a transfer.
11: And that's what we're finding. Uh, there's people on the transfer list, but realistically, they have very little hope of getting out. And it's really affecting people's mental health. So can you imagine if you're lying awake at night listening to rats in the walls? In the walls, no. And this is especially uh, where you have flat complexes, but also houses that are connected to manholes for sewage. Like, a lot of the sewage system in Cork, especially Cork, is is really old. And there's a real job of work needed. But what we have now is rats coming up through drains, uh, coming in through pipes, where pipes haven't been... You know, where the wall would go around the pipe, where it's left open. Mm. And rats and mice, then, will travel. They will will follow in. And, uh, like, I talk to people who are just at their wits end. Like... And the worry then is, like, people have to buy plastic containers to keep their food in because they're worried about the rats or mice getting into their uh, into where they keep their food. Uh, you also have the issue then with people uh, having to throw out their clothes or their bedclothes because the mould and the dam that's coming through because of these leaks. So that's nowhere to live. Yeah. That's nowhere to live, and people shouldn't have to live like that. Well,
5: <coughs> Thomas, good See to talk you. to you and um, continued... Continued good work there. Thanks for talking to us this morning.
11: Good morning,
5: good Carol. thank Slaan, you Slan Thomas Fein TD. Uh, one person in, uh, the, in in the survey that was undertaken. Uh, wrote that they have a disability and sometimes have to fill a bucket to flush their leaking toilet, which they said left them, quote, somewhat stressed. Another complained of constant drafts in the house, mice coming through and bathroom pipework that was left exposed, as Thomas mentioned. Windows unable to lock or close. Hate living here, this respondent said. One respondent said they could not have visitors to their house as the damp in their home was affecting the health of the tenants living there. Cork City Council was asked for a comment and there has so far been none forthcoming. With housing stock in huge demand at the moment it's becoming more and more common to see queues of potential home buyers lining up, sleeping in their cars, walking up and down trying to stay awake, trying to relieve each other so that they don't lose their place in the queue and that seems to be the way it is at this stage. This is in order to, succume, to secure their forever home. Shane, uh, Shane Finn is director of DNG Creed and Finn O'Connor Auctioneers and he joins me now. Good morning Shane. Uh, good morning, Gareth. How are you? Fine, thank you. Uh, I know this isn't a, a new thing. It, it goes back particularly, it goes back many, many years, particularly if the house you're looking for is in a desirable area. But I, is it fair to say that even you were surprised by this?
12: Yeah, we were. Um, I, I suppose it, it was something that we didn't encourage. Uh, but um, the we advertised the development so I suppose just for some of your listeners, just to put a little bit of context of why you're talking to me and and uh, what is it that I'm selling that people have to sleep in cares. So I launched a new housing development in, in Bishopstown on the Waterfall Road. So the location of this site um, is it's a, continu- a continuation of the city. So if you could imagine water being spilling along a table, that's what this is. This is a continuation of the city. You've got cycle pathways uh, being put in by the developer. You've got footpaths being put in. So you could live in this development with one car if you had a family. You're two kilometres from CUH and you're 750 kilometres from uh, Marymount Hospice. So we launched a development uh, for a construction company called Bridgewater Construction uh, 13 days prior to the launch. Mm-hmm. Within we launched at twenty five to one, and by two pm we had a hundred inquiries. So we were doing about an inquiry every minute and a half uh, for a number of hours.
5: When you say you launched it, Jane, how did you launch it? Where did these people see it so quickly?
12: So we we would use a number of property portals, we would use websites, etc. So there would be say our own website, D and G Finn Creed and O'Connor. Uh, or sorry, D&G, Finn O'Connor. We would also have uh, Daft and then we also created a website for the development.
5: So people were, they were expecting it to happen. They were watching very carefully, yeah.
12: Yeah, well, we would have put a sign up on site as well. And uh, that's how people search for property, basically, is they would go online and they would have notifications and we would have databases of people that we would contact as well.
5: Right. So what happened after that? Once it went up on site, you had, as you say, you had a huge number of, of
12: calls. Yeah. So so we ha- we had 800 inquiries in 13 days, which is which is very, very, very strong. Mm-hmm. So we felt that the fairest way to do it uh, was on a first-come, first-served basis. And the developers wanted to bring people up to site to show them the lovely location. And when you're on site, you can see the CH, you can see the Elysian, Uh, it's an elevated site and where the site offices and where our marketing suite on site was was right in the centre of the site so a lot of purchasers don't get an opportunity to come on to a development site, so you could really see what you were buying into, like this development has uh, a park area at the back of it, Um, so the cycle pathway goes around the circumference of the site and comes back into this park area Mm. so we, we, we said first come, first served launching Saturday morning uh, the, the the developers um, recognised that there was um, large demand, so we had initially uh, focused on 28 houses in phase one. And the developers looked at the plans again, and they said, "Well, look, we have buyers. Uh, we don't want to turn buyers away, so let's increase phase one uh, the numbers for phase one." So we we we, we got an, an additional 14 units. So we got 42 units in total.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And there was a, there was sort of brisk business done on the day. Am I right in saying that?
12: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose that's our job, isn't it? Yeah, uh, is to deal with buyers, mine buyers, mine purchasers, and get through it and get it done. And that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly what the team did. Um, so on five past six on the Friday, I was up there with the the DNG team, and we were walking out how we were going to do it. And I recognised that we had five purchasers at the gate at five past six on Friday.
5: At that's Friday evening, close of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and they, they were they were sitting in their cars, prepared to sleep in them for the night.
12: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I I I went down and I started talking to them, and I was obviously very apologetic, and like it was awful. I eh? I didn't want anybody sleeping in their cars, but I swear to you, everybody was so happy. Yeah. They were so happy, uh, like the first girl I was speaking to, she said, I'm doing this by myself, I'm so excited. I asked her what type of house she was going for and, you know, we talked about it and I said, look, don't worry, you'll get one, you're 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 in the queue, you'll be fine. And so the way that we did it was everybody got a number. So the developers recognised that, that, like, we might have problems with people on the road and it was going to be dangerous. So they actually put security on overnight, so they got people in off the road, they had You know, everybody's details, so you were one, you were two, you were three, etc. You were provided with the number. At 7 o'clock, we arrived on site. Half 7, we opened the the official launch, let's say, to bring people through. 19 cars turned into 30 cars very quickly. Uh, And in total, we had 66 purchasers that came through on the day to us. Um, Some of the purchasers, they weren't ready. Uh, Some of the purchasers uh, just didn't have the correct documentation that we needed. So we took all of their details and we said, look, you know, either we don't have what you have now or what what you want now or, uh, you know, you're not ready now. So we have all your details and we're back to you for phase two. Um, and I would urge any of your listeners mm-hmm. uh, to contact us for phase 2 if they jump onto our website they can register. Yeah.
5: But, that, that's, but that's unbelievable. You sold you you sold all of the 42 units available on Saturday.
12: Yeah, well, you know, we worked hard, like yeah. Uh, oh no, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, the, yeah this is, and you know, you know, it was. I it's was not there a reflection on and you, and, Shane. It's, and, I'm just saying, well, it's amazing. And the team, that the, like I've a, you know, we have a very, very good team in the office. Of course. And, and uh, um, yeah, that, we 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 were there at seven, and we left at half five, and um, yeah. nobody took a lunch. And it was it was literally we we stopped at ten o'clock and uh, you you literally ate while you were talking in the meeting and um, we launched at eleven we'd car coffee roasters up there at nine o'clock for all the purchasers um, we tried to feed the purchasers as we were bringing them through so uh, we had bananas water coffee you know it, there was a really happy vibe up there and everybody was so happy sweet um, a
5: sweet days business for everybody that's for sure uh, yeah, yeah yeah
12: but but that's but you, you know. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of uh, press about, um, you know, homelessness in Ireland. Mm. And there's a lot of press about, you know, people queuing and things. And, and it's kind of a, a whitewash answer to say, well, why was there people queuing? Uh, because there's a homeless crisis. And of course there is. And of course there is an emergency. But but part of our job actually is to uh, look at why. Why were people there? And yeah. what were the factors around it? So, like, the product was Right. So you've got a really well built house by a really good construction company, Bridgewater Construction. You've got it in a really good location. Like I spoke to one of the purchasers yesterday and she's exactly what I said to you uh, about getting rid of one of their cars. All the kids are getting bikes. Uh, they work locally. Uh, they're upgrading from, they've outgrown their house. They've got 12 months now to swap from what they're in now to into their new house. Mm. And uh, they're going to be able to cycle everywhere, and Absolutely. so they'll have one car.
5: So no wonder uh, they were, no wonder they were blissfully happy with yeah with staying and, there. And, and
12: but but you know if you if you look at the other factors around it, and and I don't know maybe a lot of your or a lot of your listeners mightn't be aware of it, but there are, to be fair to the government, and I know they do get a, a lot of backlash, and there are some things that I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but there are things out there that purchasers aren't aware of, um, so. So this is a new house. This is an A-rated house. Mm. This A-rated house, the banks, you get cheaper mortgage rates when you go from a B3 up in energy ratings. Yeah. So we've got cheaper money for purchasers. 3.65% uh, is the cheapest rate for Bank of Ireland to fix for four years at the moment. Mm. You've, um, you've also got, if you look at uh, the help to buy scheme from the government, that's the first time buyer grant, right? Just with an, a new label. A purchaser can get €30,000 of a grant from the government. If they're working in Ireland for five years and paying PRSI for five years, they only have to live in the house for five years. That's free. That comes. It's thirty thousand. That's if a grant. A that's
5: a grant. That, that is, so they don't have to repay that money. No, they don't. Wow.
12: No. So so that thirty thousand is given to a purchaser to give them a leg up. That helps them with their ten percent deposit, mm. and the the bank then will back the ninety percent. You also then have a new scheme that the government brought out about twelve or eighteen months ago, and they tweaked it. It's called a first home scheme. And the first home scheme is it's it's a shared equity scheme, right? And and it's doing amazing things to get people out of rental accommodation in the UK, and the government uh, used a similar model with the similar ideas, and they called it the First Home Scheme, right? Right. And that First Home Scheme uh, basically gives uh, 20% of the purchase price up to a figure of 475000 in the city centre. So if you... If you look at the numbers, and if you have a minute, I'd love to explain it to you to show well, you the I tell savings. You, I,
5: unfortunately, I don't, but I, I pe- people can obviously go on to your website you and go on to the various. Just on just yeah. on my
12: last point on it, right? Yeah, yeah. I can show a savings for some to take out a twenty-year mortgage and a thirty-five-year mortgage of between nine thousand six hundred euros a year of a savings, and you have your own house
3: mm-hmm.
12: versus renting, or fifteen thousand a year net. Uh, if you're a uh, 35-year mortgage whilst using these schemes if you want. Okay. So I, I suppose I, I know that you're caught for time so mm-hmm. just my last point before I go uh, is I would like to wish all of our 42 uh, purchasers every luck and happiness in their new home.
5: That's great. Thanks Shane. Good to talk Thank to you. Thank you very much Gareth. Thank you very much. Thank That's you. Shane Bye. Finn there, there from D&G Creed and Finn O'Connor Auctioneers. Uh, 42 uh, up and coming householders their houses will be ready from what he was saying there this time next year now the organization known as critical announced it will be joining forces with the national ambulance service and providing uh, nas off duty responders with the chance to volunteer through the charity local it's locally it's a brilliant idea and um, M- michael Sheridan, who's ceo of critical is on the line now morning to you michael good morning guys it's it's brilliant. I was reading about it uh, earlier this morning and it, it, I'm right in thinking that what you're doing is that you're asking off-duty paramedics uh, to carry kits with them that will enable them to administer uh, emergency medication and, and uh, first aid, basically, if they if they come across an incident.
13: Yeah, so there's already an existing scheme that has been run by the National Ambulance Service. Uh, there were about 150 National Ambulance Service staff so EMTs paramedics and advanced paramedics who were able to avail of uh, response kits and and AEDs or defibrillators to use responding in their local community uh, but just due to funding challenges obviously that 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 is as far as it went um where we're in a position having come out of being involved with the likes of the air ambulance um and our rebrand to critical and that we wanted to continue to work very closely with the national ambulance service Um, And because historically a lot of our other services were ground-based, so volunteer doctors responding to the likes of Creaselot last year, uh, we started to have conversations with the National Ambulance Service uh, about offering more off-duties or more National Ambulance Service staff the opportunity to respond off-duty. And the charity then provides those people with a responder bag, a basic life support response kit and a defibrillator or an AED um so that then when they're living and working in their local communities that if there's a, a medical emergency uh, that they can respond um and get there hopefully really really quickly within their local community um and start to if it's cardiac arrest you know start to help somebody not die to it from it and if, in the future if it's things like farming accidents road traffic collisions um that they can get there quickly and and, and start to to to, to start life-saving treatment potentially
5: and are the the staff keen to, to undertake the, the the challenge
13: the response has been huge so it's it in the next few weeks we'll start to see our first responders who are part of the partnership going live uh, you know we've identified counties that we want to focus on initially counties that have been historically very good to us we definitely include cork in that Um and places like Kerry, Tipperary, Waterford, and and then places we've never really existed as a charity before. You know, in places like the Midlands, where there are challenges, and and these are look, these are publicly known challenges in in relation to the time it can take somebody, to, you know, an ambulance to get there. So, and look, we're aware of that. The National Ambulance Ser- Service are aware of that. Everybody is. Um, and this is just a way of saying, look, you know, if if the service is under pressure and it's going to take. 40 minutes or an hour for an ambulance to get there, then let's get somebody there in the first 5, 10, 15 minutes um, who can start to, uh, you know, as I said earlier on, start to potentially start life saving treatment uh, with, with somebody who's in a, a, a situation where they've got a serious medical emergency or they've been part, you know, they've been involved in a traumatic accident mm-hmm. or, or incident. So, will you
5: have a list of the off duty responders in appropriate areas where they might be living and based?
13: Yes, yeah, so they will come to us. So what, what's going to happen is any National Ambulance Service staff that are interested in the scheme, they'll make contact through their local uh, through their local base um, and through the community engagement team in the National Ambulance Service. Um, and then if they're, you know, they'll have a conversation, if they're interested, then they come to us um, and they just go through a process with us where they sign up as a volunteer with ourselves. So um, our ambition is to have responders in every county and in as many communities as we can. Uh, our initial commitment is to fund 150 um, but our ambition is at least 300 um, mm. of these responders um, and you know we're looking at per per responder the cost is 1500 euro the challenge for us is that that has to be fundraised you know we are a charity Um, so you know we're going to be relying on the generosity as always of the public to get behind it um, and of communities um, who want to have these people living in their community so that if there is a a problem locally um, that potentially we can be part of, um, you know, saving somebody's life or uh, improving somebody's clinical outcomes um, from an accident or, or emergency situation. Right. And
5: as you said, it's the vital equipment kit to the off-duty EMP, EMTs and paramedics that costs $1,500, it?
13: It is. So the, the main cost is in the cost of a defibrillator um, and people are very familiar with those. Um, you know, they're on lots of walls and in, in mm. communities, halls and GA clubs around the, around the county and around the country. Uh, that's really the important bit. And um, but it's a very it's a very low cost response yeah. uh, to be able to have somebody getting to somebody who, who potentially has had a, a fall from height or has been involved in road traffic collision. Um, and you know we're we're looking at our responders being able to and and being in a position to respond to multiple taskings every year. Um, so therefore, that fifteen hundred euro, you know, we start to see real value in that yeah. in terms of the impact it can have on on local communities.
5: And I'm I'm sure it'll be very very well supported. Michael, thanks for talking to us this morning. Thank you. That's Michael Sheridan, the CEO of Critical. That's just about it. Today's show was edited by Fergal Barry,
3: produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Thanks to Wayne and the Desk. We're back tomorrow morning with you at nine.